knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. Somebody that just loves to learn and another child grows up to be somebody you just love to burn. Mom loves the both of them. You see, it's in the blood. Both kids are good and bound. Blood's thicker than the mud. It's a family affair. thicker than mud. You heard that. Blood is thicker than mud. The great Sly and the Family Stone, Sly Sylvester Stewart, who half the time was stoned, but the band was like always right on from Cali Cali. They had the Cali sound. I'll never forget with Woodstock, their performance there on the stage in the rain just Raise the roof and wherever they performed, especially when that woman who was part of the group would be playing that horn. It got everybody's attention. And the reason I play this classic uh, song, A Family Affair, is because, oh, my God, what a hot mess. Brand new mayor, Eric Adams. You know, we knew he was going to have a problem trying to force into the public safety network, the crooked former cop, Phil Banks. We'll talk about that later on as Phil Banks announced himself to be the deputy mayor of public safety. It wasn't even Eric Adams. But out of nowhere, late Friday, because this is when generally people drop news in government, late Friday, when, let's face it, it's at the end of a week's news cycle. Out of nowhere... Eric Adams decided that he was going to appoint his brother to a position that would earn him in the police department $240,000 and have status as a deputy mayor. Now, this guy had originally been a sergeant in the police department, and according to Eric Adams, uh, was always uh, at certain points wanting to leave. That's fine. But he went down to Virginia in about 2006, living down there after being a sergeant in the police department. And then all of a sudden he became in charge of parking at Commonwealth University in Virginia. Commonwealth University. Now I'm saying to myself, Commonwealth University. He's not even the head of security there. And yet all of a sudden... He's being elevated by Eric Adams to be a deputy mayor. And then obviously you had to explain why is he a deputy mayor. And that's when all of a sudden spokespersons started fumbling and stumbling because they knew damn well there's no way they could explain this. This is clear nepotism. This is the worst form of corruption that you could possibly have. 
tapping your brother, former sergeant in the New York City Police Department, who uh, left New York City in 2006 to be uh, the assistant in charge of parking at Commonwealth University in Virginia. I think there's only like 25,000 people there. What is that, running valet parking, you know, make sure the chancellor, he has uh, his position, nobody else parks in there. And then you ride around in a little golf cart and you say, hey, I got to make sure that people uh, don't park in the handicapped parking spots. You know, that, that's your job. Not even director of public security. And then out of nowhere, like a rabbit out of his hat. And this with the cooperation of the new self-appointed deputy mayor of public safety. Philip Banks, uh, who announced this is disappointment, and it shocks everybody. But typical, in typical fashion, uh, the press corps gives him a pass, gives Eric Adams a pass, like they have all through the primary campaign and especially in the general election against me. He can do no wrong. He is the Barack Obama of our local election cycle. The deck is always stacked in his direction even when he does something so egregiously wrong as this. So he went on CNN today, not a local news outlet, CNN, to defend the appointment of his brother to be the deputy mayor. And lo and behold, we find out that in addition to being the deputy mayor, he wants his brother tasked with protecting Eric Adams' safety. Now, I know what Eric Adams was saying in the campaign when he won the Democratic primary. Remember, after a few rounds of ranked choice voting, he chose not to accept the required police protection that any candidate who wins their primary is allotted. I was offered that, and I said, hell no. I don't need no police uh, protection. The moment I need police protection, it's time for me to retire to the sixth borough of the city of New York, Boca Raton in Florida, or get a job hanging uh, wallpaper. What the hell do I need police security for? And I'll go more into it. Eric Adams chose not to have police security for other reasons that I'm going to go into. But now suddenly, where his safety was of no concern to himself and his supporters... Now, all of a sudden, it is an overwhelming issue. Wait till you hear the bull feathers that he uses as an excuse to claim why Bernard Adams, his brother, who hasn't been around in a month of Sunday, is going to oversee his personal security instead of the professionally trained intel division of the NYPD. But let me be clear on this. Uh, My brother is qualified uh, for the position. Uh, Number one, he will be in charge of my security, uh, which is extremely important to me in a time when we see an increase in white supremacy and hate crimes. I have to take my security in a very serious way. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Whoa, whoa. The, The threat is from white supremacists? Can anybody else out there tell me where are the white supremacists in the five boroughs? Are they meeting right now in Stone Mountain, Georgia, as they're flying the flag of treason, the stars in bars, getting together? So we got to get that black mayor in New York City, Eric Adams, if it's the last thing we do. Does anybody really believe that nonsense? Can, can, can I hear that cut again? I, 
what is it? He's not attributing this to maybe emotionally disturbed persons who might come out of a crowd and, let's uh, say, stab him or attack him, which, hey, could potentially happen. It's happened with me. But the reason that he's now concerned about his safety, where he wasn't concerned about it before, is because of the threat of white supremacists. <laughs> but let me be clear on this. Uh, my brother is qualified uh, for the position. Uh, number one, he will be in charge of my security, uh, which is extremely important to me in a time when we see an increase in white supremacy and hate crimes. I have to take my secur- security in a very serious way. I'm expected to take that statement seriously. The biggest threat to Mayor Eric Adams is from white supremacists. Do we know where they are? Uh, When intel of the police department, uh, DPCI, John Miller is the spokesperson there. You know, John Miller's uh, head of the terrorism squad, who is a longtime journalist. There was no, no answer back. You know, as to all the threats that are being made against brand new Mayor Eric Adams by white supremacists. Is anybody out there aware of any threats that have been made against the life of Eric Adams or to his family or friends or anyone else by white supremacists? Uh, I would be, it would be even hard for me, you knows just about every nook, cranny, and corner of New York City. Nobody knows New York City better than me. But I would have a difficult time finding white supremacists in New York City. Uh, in other states, yeah, maybe there's a cabal, maybe there's a pipeline, maybe there's a railroad connection, maybe it's something we're unaware of. Ladies and gentlemen, please help me clarify this. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Time to get out the hip-hugging boots with all the verbal bull feathers that Eric Adams was spreading around with Jake Tapper on CNN. But then Jake Tapper finally woke up. Uh, instead of uh, engaging in idolatry and said, uh, hey, isn't this a conflict of interest? Doesn't that at least violate the spirit of the law in New York, which says public servants, friends and family members should not benefit uh, from their positions? Well, we have something here in the city called Conflict of Interest Board. They do rulings and waivers. Uh, It's going through that process now. Uh, They would make the determination. And we have a great system here in the city. (laughs) Of course it's a conflict of interest. But then again, ladies and gentlemen, let me throw a few breadcrumbs out there. Why did JFK want RFK as his attorney general? Why was uh, Fredo, Chris Cuomo, so loyal to his brother Andrew Evilize Cuomo? What is the main thing that each older brother wanted from the younger brother? What did JFK want from RFK as attorney general? What did Andrew Evilize Cuomo want from Chris Fredo Cuomo as his younger brother? What does Eric Adams want from his younger brother, who is uh, Bernard Adams? All three want the same thing, wanted the same thing. Let's see if any of you uh, can actually connect the dots on that. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. This is what Eric Adams went on to say. In fact, if you can, 
Uh, talk about how he's a little unsure now when he's in the public. Wasn't unsure during the primary of the Democrats or the general election against me. Well, now, you know, when he's in the public, he's got to be on the QT. Uh, I don't want the people of this city to believe that their mayor is not approachable and he's not willing to engage with them on the level that I want to represent. You saw I took the subway system uh, when I, my day one in office, and those are the types of things that I'm, I'm going to do. So let me get it straight. I'm trying to figure this out. Eric Adams, candidate, said, I don't need any security. Okay, I'll tell you momentarily why. Then remember Eric Adams, who can legally carry a licensed handgun because he's a former cop 22 years, said he would be the first mayor to carry a gun if elected mayor. Then all of a sudden, he had second thoughts about that as he was getting slammed on that. Like, why the hell would you be carrying a gun as mayor of the city of New York? Sort of like a bad example for young men, especially in the hood, who believe they have to carry guns to protect themselves in the midst of gang warfare and retaliatory shootings and drive-by shootings. So now he's gotten off that QT. But now he needs safety. Who knew there were so many white supremacists in New York City? You know, I, I've been in every neighborhood, all over. Where, where are they? Oh, is he talking about Staten Island? Because they voted for me and they didn't vote for him? He talking about the Irish Riviera? You know, Breezy Point? Can't find many brothers out there, but you can find a lot of white Irish guys. Cops, retired cops, firefighters, retired firefighters. Who the hell is he talking about white supremacists? The barons of industry, many of them who are fleeing to Florida, Texas, Tennessee, and parts unknown, uh, they're almost all white. Is he talking about that? Do they have a Klan plan, sitting in down, you know, all of a sudden with the, 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 the hooded sheets over their heads, planning to hurt Eric Adams? Are we to believe any of that bull feathers? Our numbers, 1-800-848-9222. And again... You're not too quick here. Now, that's because we're coming off Joe Piscopo, right, and Ramsey Subaru, the Sinatra show, obviously. You were being entertained, so it's not like you had to do a lot of thinking. Now you got to think. I'm putting the question to you. It is so freaking obvious. And none of you out there, you're like, ooh, I don't know. You're scratching your belly. Uh, You're waiting for Frank Morano to come on the other side of midnight at 1 in the morning. Yeah, yeah, he'll be here. What do all three families have in common? Each had an older brother, JFK, the president, younger brother, RFK, he appointed attorney general. Andrew Evilized Cuomo depended on Fredo, Chris Cuomo. And Chris Cuomo lost his job, lost his career because of his loyalty to Andrew Evilized Cuomo. And now we have Eric Adams, age 61, the older brother, to uh, Bernard Adams, who I believe is 53, who was the vice president, get this, vice president of parking at Commonwealth University in Virginia, very prestigious position. Not, Not the president, not in charge of parking, but the vice president, basically doing valet parking, riding around in a golf cart all day to make sure that nobody parked in the chancellor's uh, spot or in the handicapped parking spots. Very difficult job. And this qualifies him to be a deputy mayor in charge of community governmental affairs. 
And so I think Eric Adams realized that didn't float. So now I got to make him in charge of my own personal security. The very security that I said I didn't need. Now I got to look for the boogeymen, uh, the white supremacists. Who are they out there that threaten the life and the welfare of Eric Adams, his loved ones, his friends, his relatives, the enigma that he is? Are they the Proud Boys? Are they the Oath Keepers? Are they the One Percenters? Is it a Klan plan? Please let me know, because I don't know of them here in New York City. I mean, there are some, a handful. But, hey, hey, can One Police Plaza, can DCPI let us know how many threats have been made against Mayor Eric Adams that would suddenly require that we elevate the vice president parking of Commonwealth University in Virginia to the deputy mayor in charge of governmental affairs at $240,000. But really the reason is to put together a personal security plan for his brother. What, ladies and gentlemen? Boy, this is a tough one, right? No, 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 this is not a brain buster. JFK, RFK. Andrew Evilized Cuomo, Fredo, Chris Cuomo, uh, Eric Adams, and the least known of all of the six uh, that I am mentioning, Bernard Adams. What do they all have in common? 1-800-848-9222. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Talk station with the king of New York. Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. Like we're doing a freaking five-minute intro. Where are the Bee Gees singing "Staying Alive"? Madonna, my. So anyway, ladies and gentlemen, perched precariously on the Verrazano Bridge, maybe Eric Adams feels at some point his machismo may be challenged, just like in um, the great movie of that time with John Travolta. Remember, he's in the club, 2000. They go over to the Verrazano Bridge. They start walking, you know. There were no fences at the time. It was sort of like a former chicky out. Maybe the white supremacists are in Staten Island on one side of the Verrazano Bridge. Maybe they're on the Bay Ridge, Diker Heights side. Well, Gary, Gary in Inwood. Gary, where, are the white supremacists up there? Gary in Inwood? Good evening, Curtis. I've lived my whole life between the Bronx and Inwood, where I am now. And in my entire life, nothing has ever come across in a conversation, trickle down information, pointed out between all the people I know. Huh. And, that, and to me, that's total nonsense. And it's certainly not up in Inwood, but uh, nah, it's total fabrication. Once again, not in my entire life have I come across a situation 
And Gary, I was, I know a lot of people. Gary, that Gary. would have trickled down to me somewhere along the line. What, what, what do you know, Gary? Did you wear a bulletproof vest and carry a gun and a badge for 22 years like Eric Adams? What do you know, Gary? Yeah, I was on the other side of the fence. That's right. So this is what I want to do, Gary. Because I don't know of that either. And I think I got a pretty good uh, finger on the pulse of this city. I want to deputize you to go out and find white supremacists in your neck of the woods. I want to deputize all of our listeners, wherever you are in the five boroughs, to find these white supremacists who are a threat to the life and the safety of our new mayor, Eric Adams. Will, will you take an oath to that, Gary? Absolutely. Curtis, I have 220 acres of woodland right outside where I am. You know where I am. Yes. Within five feet of me, I can come across this huge space of parkland and all that. I That thought you had, and I thought it was uh, on my part. I threw it around for a second just for just for uh, for the heck of it because yes. I know it's total fabrication. No, 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 no. Well, no we, look, Gary, Gary, we have to give him the benefit of the doubt. He probably knows something that nobody else knows about the danger of white supremacy in New York City. Uh, let's go to Giuseppe uh, in Monroe. Joey in Monroe, your turn to be heard here at WABC. Curtis, thank you very much. I supported you. I was at your election party, and as far as I'm concerned, you are the mayor of New York. They want power, and that's all I have to say. Eric Adams wants the power. Okay, but to... look, 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 hey, he's no different than other politicians. They all want power. Come on. Uh, Hey, come on. Don't starch my BVDs and Fruit of the Loom. I don't need sickle fans, toadies, and lackeys. Or I'll introduce you to Mr. Click. He didn't even answer the question. We have to go all the way to Boston, Massachusetts, to Jackie, to see if Jackie has the answer. The connection between JFK, RFK, Andrew Cuomo, Fredo Cuomo, Eric Adams, and his brother, Brian Adams, not not uh, Bernard, make that. Brian Adams, obviously, the rock star from Vancouver. Go for it, Jackie. Loyalty. Loyalty, yes. Okay, you're on. You're on to something. In what manner, Jackie? Well, they have their relatives in office. If they do something crooked or wrong, they're not going to rat them out. Very good. You're like two-thirds of the way there, Jackie. Two-thirds of the way there. Uh, JFK needed RFK to protect him from his uh, debaucherous lifestyle because if the world knew what he was doing all day and why he had real back pain instead of that Camelot, fake, phony, fraudulent back pain, uh, we would have looked at him a lot differently, right, Jackie? Well, yeah, back then, yeah. And so, and so when JFK was snacking on Marilyn Monroe and RFK was outside looking outside the door... And then JFK went away, and days later, RFK came and started snacking on Marilyn Monroe. That was the point, right? Loyalty to keep the code of Omerta. All right, I'll keep listening, Curtis, to hear, you know, the complete answer. I got it. I got She's on to it. Two-thirds of the way. How come people from out of state are getting it? And you schmucks, you putzes from in New York, you can't even connect the dots? Look, Benny in Pennsylvania is going to tell us, right, Benny? Right. First of all, I want you to call Eric Adams right away. Tell him I'm on 80 East. I saw three trucks 
full KKK members on the way to New York. Oh We've got about an hour and a half. Oh, my God. Let them know right away. Good looking out. Good looking out, Ben. I saw them pass by flags and everything. Oh, good good looking out. The rebel flags, right? The Confederate flags. Some kind of flags. Okay, look. This but is they're, good. They're after them. This but is let good. Let know that first. And the second thing is, like Jackie said, it's also about silencing and fixing things and whatever problems they got. You know, silence it. Anything that goes on, like you said, like cover up for them and. Well, let me uh, let me. I'll get I'll get into I'll get into great detail now, Benny. Again, look at the brothers with their younger brothers, the loyalty, JFK, RFK, Andrew Evilice Cuomo, Fredo, Chris Cuomo, and now Eric Adams, who out of nowhere appoints his brother. It wasn't even a hint of this. Bernard Adams, to be in charge of his security detail because Eric Adams, when he's on the down low, doesn't want anyone knowing what's going on. If you don't know what I mean on the down low, when the clock strikes 12 and he's sampling the nightlife as he says he will as mayor, anybody who's ever been out of the clubs like I used to be, whether they were legitimate clubs or after-hours clubs, nothing good happens after 12 midnight. Girly girlies come up to you. They want to take pictures. All of a sudden, you're behind the drape, the cloaks, the ropes. Guys are doing blow, all kinds of freaky-deaky stuff going on. Come on. Hey, just because I'm white, you think I'm stupid? But the brother who will be in the club will all of a sudden come up to Eric and say, no, no, don't take that picture, Eric. Don't let that, don't let that girly, girly, that floozy take a selfie. No, no. Or he'd go up to the floozy and say, hey, give me that. Eliminate that picture. See, police intel won't do that because that has nothing to do with the safety that the mayor is entitled to. That has simply to protect him from himself. You got that? He's not a boozer. We know that. He doesn't do drugs. He lives a good holistic life. He's a vegan. He works an incredible number of hours. He has good energy. But he's got this thing about clubbing. And whatever happens after 12, you don't turn into a pumpkin like in the fable. The other thing you need to know is that when you're given a police escort, And you have assigned men and women undercover of the department who are with you at all times in different rotations. One of them is always the driver. The driver knows everything. You think the driver is just driving. Right, Phil? Right, right? The driver's listening because you're on your cell phone. It could be to your new girlfriend. Remember, he's not married. He has a... Why do they call her a partner? I don't understand this. trying to remember her name. Tracy Collins, you know, apartment 22H in Fort Lee. I know I was there. Oh, no, no, he's, n- he's never here. Liars. But, you know, let's face it, he's going to get a little frisky. Uh, if he was getting action once a week when he was Brooklyn Borough president, now, if he wanted it, he can get free action every night of the week. And he could probably handle it. Yeah, yeah it, that could be quite tiring. But, you know, he's got his vegan routine. He's, he juices. 
No, no drugs. No booze. He's not smoking spliffs. He's not hitting the bong. None of that. But you know who would know all this? The driver. The driver would know if he's getting wine-dined and pocket line. The driver would know if he's getting into a heated discussion on his cell phone with his new chief of staff, the crook from the crooked Brooklyn County, Kings County Democratic machine, Frank Carone. The driver would know. And if the driver were just one of the normally assigned police officers, an elite unit from the NYPD with no loyalty to Eric Adams, no personal or blood loyalty. Remember what? Uh, in fact, play that again, please, uh, Sly and the Family Stone, so that you can hear the words that are so pertinent to this. Blood is thicker in mud. Thicker in mud. Because Bernard Adams... Is going to protect Eric Adams from himself. Gotta know these things. The driver knows everything. Let's just say you had a corporate meeting, right? It got very heated. CEOs, vice presidents of corporations. Towards the end of the meeting, if you're a smart CEO, you calm everything down, you, you, you get friendly. Oh, you, you, your wife, your kids, how are they doing? Oh, by the way, my chauffeur's downstairs. You know, wherever you want to go, just t- you tell me and I'll tell him, Mr. Singh, wherever you want to go. So naturally, the CEO gets in the car and he starts bad-mouthing the other CEO. Mr. Singh is driving. Mr. Singh dutifully drops him off, returns, and tells Johnny Legit everything that that guy said on the phone. Yeah, I, I, I didn't want a police intel. That's one of the reasons. But you see, Eric Adams is not being honest here. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Lou in Porchester, New York. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Louie. Hey, Curtis. Hey. Not, not the primary reason why I called, but when you, when you talked about nothing happens good after 12, um, it, it reminds me of my father. And evidently, I just learned that, that you know of the family uh, from Brockton, Mass., so my father is the brother of the man. Uh, so that was his his saying, uh, you know, all coming up, you know, when we were growing up, is that nothing good after 12 happens. All right, now, well, hold on a second, Lou. Lou, you scratched my medulla with Brockton, <laughs> toughest city in America. That's the logo when you go to Brockton outside of Austin. And rightfully so, Rocky Marciano came out of there, undefeated heavyweight champion of the world, Marvin Hagler, marvelous Marvin Hagler, who now does spaghetti westerns and speaks perfect Italian, better than the Italians in Italy. But loyalty was a big thing in Brockton, Lou. Uh, you took the code of Omerta. You didn't say nothing about nobody. Am I correct on that, Lou? Yeah, that's that's true. I'm, I'm trying to tell you, I'm not sure if you caught it, but my father was the, the next boy born after Rocky. But, yeah, 100%, uh, you're correct in that. You didn't. My father used to say, uh, along with nothing good happens after 12 is, Button the lip and save the ship, and that was that was uh, that permeated all throughout uh, growing up. <laughs> you couldn't be more hopelessly right. And a little side story about Rocky Marciano. He was a cheapskate. He threw nickels around like manhole covers. Heavyweight champion of the world, undefeated. So he had to fly and I guess do some appearance, and he didn't want to pay the commercial rate 
for an airline seat. He never flew first class, only coached. So he was offered a cut-rate seat on some puddle jumper somewhere in Iowa. It was probably, uh, during the day, a crop, uh, you know, crop duster. And because he was saving money, he crashed and he died. Just to save a few bucks. So they go to his house in Brockton. And they say, where the hell is all of his money? I mean, he had a pretty good amount of money at the time amassed. And they figured it out where the old Italians always used to put their money, which was not in the bank or in the Medaglia d'Oro coffee can, the Italian coffee can. He hid it behind the walls. They started breaking down the walls and the money started pouring out bundles of money. Rocky probably put so many stacks of cash behind in a hole in the wall, he forgot all about it. Very Italian. My grandfather, Fidelo Bianchino, Badez did that too. And he would forget where he kept the money. Because he didn't see, I'm not putting it in the mattress. I don't trust the bank. But hey, if the crooks come in, the first place they're going to go is the mattress. So he made holes in different places in the walls. And he put string with stacks of money in, single dollar bills. And then he would forget. Because, you know, first level of dementia. And then he blamed me. He blamed me. Say, Uchambin. He would call me Uchambin. You, Isofora, Kesta Kais. That means get the hell out of this house. He would tell my mother, Francesca, the last drop, the 13th child, the youngest daughter, she had to take care of my grandfather, that I was a thief. Uassassin. Isofora, Kesta Kais. My mother would have to take two days to calm him down. Finally, my father would come home as a merchant seaman, and he was also a master craftsman, and he would go behind the walls, and he would find the money, and he would show it to my grandpa, Fidel. You think Fidel would apologize to me? No, it's like it never happened. I was rocking Marciano, yeah. A lot of old Italians like that. 1-800-848-9222. Talk Radio 77 WABC. New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. All right, we're going to get it on. It's the daily double of corruption. Involving new Mayor Eric Adams and his tinkering with the uh, police department. Out of nowhere, he had his brother appointed deputy mayor. Now he says he's in charge of his personal security. Don't you feel so much better? (laughs) No. But the guy who is the shot caller in the police department is not the young lady from Nassau County who was appointed police commissioner. No, 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 no. She's a figurehead. She's a place setter. Speaks well. Good at public relations. No, the shot caller is Phil Banks. He appointed himself. Talk about the Coulions. He writes an op-ed piece in the Daily News announcing, I'm the deputy mayor for public safety. You didn't hear that from Eric Adams. And he does his mayor copus, his apology, apologies for being a corrupt cop. This guy was the highest ranking uniform member in the police department, implicated in multiple Schemes involving money laundering, bribery, tax fraud. The FBI was on. 
They said, hey, hey, Phil, 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 how'd you end up with $300,000 in your personal bank account? Blah, 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 blah. I don't know. You have no idea where this money came from. Blah, 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 blah. I don't know. Then they said, hey, now you have these properties in Queens. You haven't paid taxes on them. You owe about $245,000. You never paid taxes on the 300000 That means you're a tax cheat, right? I didn't even know I had that money. You know, he took the code of, like, I'm stung God. I don't know. And this is all because the dynamic duo of those whining, dining, and pocket lining, de Blasio, he was on the ropes because of Reichnitz and Reichberg, who were promising all these white shirts, starting with Phil Banks and trickling all down, because they have in the police department what you call white shirt immunity. If you wear a white shirt, you're an untouchable. Black, white, Hispanic, Asian, male, female. You earn that white shirt, you're an untouchable. And so all of a sudden, a federal judge has issued a warrant to tap his phone, Philip Banks. He hears about it, let's face it. Somebody drops time and says, hey, Phil. They wired up your, your phones like a Christmas tree, all nine of them that you have. I mean, even drug dealers didn't have that many phones. You know, and he had he had, <laughs> he had the Motorola Boost phone, you know, using them on, throw it away. <laughs> this guy had more phones. He had his utility belt. It didn't have mace on it. It didn't have a taser. It didn't have a gun. It had like nine different phones. It's money laundering. Every day, it's in ATM machines, putting money in, out. It's the old-fashioned way, small amounts of money, in, out, in, out, in, out, in, out. That's how you money launder. This guy was corrupt. And so he hears that, oh, my God, they got a warrant to tap my phones, all nine of them, from a federal judge. I'll just retire. And this is when Bill Bratton, the police commissioner for Bill de Blasio, Wants to make him first deputy chief, which is a civilian job. So that's, he's getting elevated, but now he's a civilian. He's no longer a copper. And he's saying, you know something? <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm not going to the slammer. And he became, because he uh, Eric Adams, well, in fact, let's go to the audio tape here. Eric Adams, so excited about Phil Banks, who he said was never accused of a crime. Uh, I believe that Phil acknowledges uh, there were some real mistakes and errors that were made. He was not accused of a crime. Are you kidding, Eric? When you have been implicated in everything I've mentioned and you don't get indicted, it's because you became a C.I. And that has nothing to do with Coney Island. You become a confidential informant. But let's hear about what a good person, the new deputy mayor for public safety, who will really be running the police department, Phil Banks is. Uh, I think that when you look at what happened yesterday in this city, a young person was shot uh, in a robbery in a store. Uh, it really personifies why I need the best person for the job. Uh, I can't leave uh, bad people doing bad things to good people on the bench uh, when I have a talented person that just made some uh, bad calculate, you know, bad decisions. Uh, he didn't do anything that was criminal. Uh, Phil is a great person, the right time to do this job. So the Peter principle, right? He made bad decisions, so we, we promote him. We make him a deputy mayor of public safety. Hasn't existed since David Dinkins when he made Judge Mullen. 
Deputy Mayor for Public Safety. How did that work out? 2,000 murders a year, 5,000 unsolved shootings. And Judge Marlin spent half his time looking for his dentures that had fallen out of his, uh, his, his mouth because he didn't use polygrip. Anyway, let's go to Giuseppe calling from New Jersey. Hey, Joey, your turn to be here at WABC, Joey. Curtis, Curtis, I got the answer to what you want to know with these guys. Uh, It's uh, Kennedy uh, and Como and Arams. You know what it is? What was that? And this is it. Loose lips sink ships. Yes. When they have somebody close to them, they're not going to go around talking about their private life or what they do. That's really the answer. That's right. If and remember, others watching them, they, they got something on them. They don't want nobody to get anything on them. Of course. That's your answer. And, and the brother, the younger brother, is there to protect the older brother. Isn't that what you're told by your father and mother? Is that, yeah. hey, you got to protect one another. If your older brother gets into a position of influence, make sure you stand by your brother. Make sure no harm comes his way. Right, Joe? That, that's the way brothers are brought up. Protection, protection. Yes, protection. And you don't have to pay for this protection. We, the sucker taxpayers, are paying his brother $240,000 a year. He was the, what was that, the vice president of parking at Commonwealth University in Virginia? They got like, what, 25,000 people there on the campus? And he's driving around in the, in the, in the golf, in the golf cart, making sure nobody's parked in the chanceless spot. And nobody's parked in the handicapped parking. What the hell does Vice President of Parking do? <sighs> Let's go to Michael in Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Mike. Yes, hello. Uh, we're in for a rough ride with this guy, uh, Adams, who uh, it wasn't good enough for him to be part of the uh, Guardian Association. He had to create this uh, racist group called the 100 black men in law enforcement of care. Uh, we're in for a rough ride, I'll tell you that. And uh, I was, uh, I supported you. The mayor, uh, who's who's going to run next against this character? Well, uh, no, no, no. Hey, look, 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 Michael. Uh, these are his Achilles heels. They are exposed in other matters. He's doing a good job. Department of Education, dumbest organization ever. He has assigned uh, the other banks. Boy, you talk about nepotism. There's so many banks here. You know, your head starts spinning. I'll call them the good banks because uh, all reports indicate David Banks is the good bank's brother. It's not a good job. The only problem is the mama drama. Can I – how do I explain this? Do you remember the old movie Bob and Carol, Ted and Alice? Remember Bob and Carol, Ted and Alice? Uh, what was it? Uh, Robert Colt, Diane Cannon, Elliot Gould, Natalie Wood before her husband Wagner killed her, you know, off of Catalina. Uh, uh, remember that movie? So you got Eric Adams, who is a real enigma in terms of his own personal life. He has what they call a partner. I guess you could call it a domestic partner. Tracy Collins, who works for what? The Department of Education. But you never see her. But she's a co-owner of the apartment that Eric Adams has in Fort Lee. I know because I've been there. Uh, Apartment 22H. He co-owns it with her. Okay, that's his business. 
He's been there. I don't care if he goes there as long as he does his job. But then you have David Banks, the Good Banks brother. You're hanging on so far. The Good Banks brother versus the bad Phil Banks brother, who's now the deputy mayor of public safety. The Good Banks brother, David, was having an affair with a woman named Sheena Wright, who was the CEO of United Way in New York City. She was living with her husband at the time, a guy named Greg Walker. They had a townhouse in Harlem. They had a fight, domestic dispute. Okay, it happens all the time. Cops come. They arrest Sheena Wright. Then she comes back (laughs) the next day (laughs) and beats up the mother-in-law. Yeah, no, look, I understand why... Daughter-in-laws would want to beat up their mother-in-laws because mother-in-laws can really be a pain in the tuchus, right? We all know that. But she just gets out of the slammer, and she goes back, and she beats up the mother-in-law. So now she gets arrested a second time, and it's Michigash. And then all of a sudden, the bad brother, Philip Banks, who's high-ranking in the police department, makes a few calls, and everybody gets released. So now... Sheena Wright, who is the domestic partner, I know this is difficult, but please, with David Banks, the good Banks brother, the CEO of United Way has been appointed a deputy mayor in the Adams administration. Does that sound a little incestuous? Uh, I I mean, circling the wagons, everybody knows one another and ain't nobody dropping dime. I mean, circle the wagons. Wow. I have vertical from this. Anyway, let's uh, go to Tony and Elizabeth. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Tone. Hey, Curtis. Curtis, you're doing a good job exposing the questionable things that Eric Adams is doing. No surprise, but here's the problem. To your average New Yorker, that 80% that's staying, you know, it's going to stay there. Yes, Yes. Who don't trust the police. They think he's doing a good thing because the police might rat him out and they might not protect him. So they think he's doing a damn good thing. Number two, all right, before you comment on that, I had a great-grandfather from Naples. came when he was 12. He invented a, a patented a, a, a little device for the sewing machine, made a fortune, buried it in the, in the family in the backyard off of South Orange Avenue in Newark where the family lived. When the family went to move when he was around in his early 70s, he found that his fortune had wilted. Curtis, I'm told he died of a heart attack shortly thereafter. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 Back Tony uh, Napolitano. Normally they would become hairstylists. <laughs> and you know something? They have been replaced. There's still many of them out there from Naples who are hairstylists. But now the biggest growing number of hairstylists are from Uzbekistan, which is near Kazakhstan where the dictator has said, shoot the demonstrator, shoot to kill. And who was the actor who did the role? Kazakhstan. And what, it, what was the movie called? Oh, this is a brain buster. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. So if you go to hairstyling salons now, and there's a man there, I always say to him, oh, you're from Tashkent, huh? Oh, how did you know? You're a hairstylist from Uzbekistan. Most of them are Jews. Some Muslims escaped the totalitarian Soviet regime. They're now sort of independent and autonomous. Yeah, 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 meds and meds and polka polka. It's still Putin's breathing on them. You know what I mean? And their leaders are so corrupt. 
1-800-848-9222. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Uh, Phil, uh, has anybody spotted any white supremacists out there who may be a threat uh, to our mayor, Eric Adams? Because, you know, I've deputized them all throughout the five boroughs and in the tri-state area now that Eric Adams says he's the biggest threat to his self uh, safety is uh, white supremacists. Uh, anybody found any yet, uh, Phil? No, I've heard reports that they're crawling around the subways next to the rats. That they're, they're, they're down deep, though. We're, we're looking for them. <laughs> and the media's going to believe that nonsense, that bull feathers. Why? Because his complexion is his protection. See, only Curtis Sleever can say that, right? I tell it like it is. Eric Adams knows that. He called me a racist in the campaign. Me. I lead a group of predominantly black and Hispanics, the guardian angels in New York City, around the world. He called Andrew Yang, his opponent in the Democratic primary, a racist. Andrew Yang a racist? That's his fallback position. The white boogeymen are out to get me. I don't care if you're white, black, Hispanic, Asian. I don't care if you're male, female. If you're uh, uh, in transition, it doesn't matter. Everybody has pains, pains, pains galores. Some of you say, yeah, yeah, my wife is a real pain in the neck. No, no, my husband's a real pain in the neck. My kids, my grandchildren. That's not the kind of pains I'm talking about. You know, Saturday, boy, the temperatures dropped. The hawk was talking out there. And I have had nowhere near as many breaks as Evil Knievel. He's... I think about 460 breaks and fractures. I've had like maybe one-tenth the number. But I can tell you when it's cold, oh, the pain is kicking. And what I used to do is pop the oxys, Percocet, Vicodin, sometimes so bad pains from different things, uh, the fentanyl patches, and yeah, morphine itself. And, And all it does is it dulls the pain, but it doesn't eliminate the pain. If you want pain management, you got to drop the prescription drugs and go to Trinity Rehab in New Jersey. Now, I know a lot of you are saying, well, well that's in New Jersey. Well, look, people already gone there from Pennsylvania, Mid-Hudson Valley, uh, like myself and Nancy, across the George Washington Bridge from Manhattan. You could do it, too, because they have the EPAT machine, which actually helps break up your scar tissue, which creates a lot of that pain with pressure wave technology, so that if all of a sudden you have, oh, pain that's the result of neck pain, tennis elbow, shoulder tendonitis, plantar fasciitis, and knee pain, in three five-minute sessions, you could be virtually pain-free. No drugs. Write this down. You want to pass out this information to your friends, your relatives, those you know, those who you want to be pain-free. Trinity Rehab is all over New Jersey in Clifton, Paramus, Wayne, Short Hills, Emerson, East Windsor, Shrewsbury, Wall, Woodbridge, and they opened up two brand new locations in Hackensack and Wyckoff. Call Trinity Rehab today at 800 518 0977. That's 800 518 0977. Or go to Trinity Rehab.com. That's Trinity Rehab.com. New York's talk station with the king of New York. Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. Feeling down and dirty, feeling kind of mean. Well, what are you trying to say by this? I'm being mean to Eric Adams because I'm pimp slapping his brother, who's a deputy mayor now. 
of the no, a deputy commissioner in the police department earning two hundred and forty thousand. He was doing valet parking in Virginia. And the crooked banks, Phil Banks, as opposed to the good banks, David Banks, I know, I know it gives you vertical. But stick with me because, remember, my forte is I know where all the bones are buried and who buried them. Let's go to Callahan in Ridgewood, New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Callahan. Uh, Hi, Curtis. Uh, Happy New Year to you and Nancy and your kittens. Um... Yeah, I'm just gobsmacked, but not surprised by uh, Adams laying down his entire strategy, uh, hiring these people, playing the race card. Do you think he's going to get away with it? That's the question. And it's and then I'd like to talk to your uh, call your your screener when I'm done. Absolutely, Callahan. As I just said before I went to your call, before I decided to travel in a time capsule and start feeding feeding the ducks in a duck pond in Richwood, New Jersey. By the way, do you know, we're going to be talking about this with my wife who's on with me, every uh, 12 midnight to 1 we do our pet hour, our animal welfare hour, that this last three weeks the bird watchers – were going out there, you know, the guys who wear the safari hats, uh, the shorts, they have the binoculars, and they go, whoop woo whoop woo And they trace all the birds for three weeks. In January 5th, they tabulate all the birds so that we have a census of birds. We're going to talk about that in the 12 midnight hour because my wife Nancy has a problem with how I make fun of the bird watchers, which I've been known to do from time to time. But, boy, are they dedicated. You remember uh, the whole Karen incident in Central Park? Had to do with her walking her dog, coming across the African-American. And what was he doing in the park? Bird watching with other bird watchers. They perform a really great service to the wildlife community. So I'm going to let Nancy explain it in the 12 uh, midnight uh, hour. Uh, And also give me... uh, a bit of a beatdown for having made fun of bird watchers going, whoop a woo, whoop a woo. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. Down, I let you take control.
habits. I'm trying to come up with a better way, a metaphor, uh, to make the comparison uh, to the two brothers who are now circling the wagons with their long-term friendship of uh, Mayor Eric Adams. As I told you, David Banks, all reports are he's a good educator. Uh, He is in charge of the Department of Education, the DOE, which uh, the acronym is dumbest organization ever, with a bloated budget of $36 billion out of a $102 billion overall city budget. My God, we're going to be on the verge of sliding into the fiscal abyss and maybe at a certain point, verging on having to declare Chapter 11. That's how egregious it is. But, you know, everybody's happy days are here again. Nobody's walking the streets. The place is dead. I'm not blaming Eric Adams for that. But uh, David Banks has a good opportunity of shearing a lot of the waste at the Department of Education, and I give him credit as I give Eric Adams credit for keeping the kids in school and not folding to the UFT Union of Failed Teachers and their... Grand Poobah, Michael Mulgrew, sitting in his home in Staten Island, saying, I'm in charge. I don't know. Eric Adams and David Banks are saying, no, you're not. We're in charge. So that's good. They're forcing all three of my sons who go to public schools. Anthony, who was with me tonight, he was interning as I was doing uh, my Sunday show with the aggressive progressive Chris Hahn from 3 to 5. Did a great job. Uh, my middle son, Carter, who just had his bar mitzvah at 13, And Hunter. Uh, And they're all going to school now. Good. So don't think that I'm just raining on the Eric Adams parade. I give him thumbs up, A-plus, for how he's dealing with Union of Failed Teachers, Michael Mulgrew, and keeping the kids and the teachers in class, along with his appointment of David Banks. That's good. But Philip Banks, that's the bad Banks. That's the evil seed, right? Would it be appropriate that I use the biblical analogy of Cain and Abel? Remember? But who would be Cain and who would be Abel? Philip Banks, who appointed himself deputy mayor of public safety in the Daily News on Friday in an op-ed piece, he described himself, I'm the deputy mayor of public safety. Everybody was saying, we haven't heard that from the mayor, Eric Adams. yet. doesn't matter. You see, Philip Banks knows everything about Eric Adams, and Eric Adams obviously would not want the rest of the world to know. See, he's got a little leverage here. You notice he treats Philip Banks differently than anybody else in his entourage. Philip Banks can write an op-ed piece in the Daily News and declare himself to be the new deputy mayor of public safety. I mean, normally, Eric Adams would have a press conference and would introduce his new appointments. That's standard. Not here. (laughs) And what's Eric Adams going to say to Phil? Hey, please, Phil, come on. Don't bogart me, huh? Come on. Phil goes, come on, Eric. You know, I know. I know, Eric. What was that famous line in The Godfather? Keep your enemies close to you, right? Right now, Philip Banks is a good friend. They've been friends for a long time, but... He might know things about the mayor that, hey, you're a bit compromised. Okay, okay, so figuring out Cain, who would be Cain and Abel. Now, uh, I haven't been to catechism classes in a long time, but that's Old Testament, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Who killed who? Was it Cain who killed Abel? 
Or was it Abel who killed Cain? And why did we always blame it on the woman, right? She made, right? Cain. Or was it Abel eat the apple with the serpent, right? You see, I'm... I'm I'm, I'm a little better with New Testament because I'm an A.M.P. Catholic. Ashes on Wednesday, palms on Sunday. You don't see me for a month of Sundays. Uh, need a little bit of a refresher course on Old Testament. But notice, we always blame the women because who gave the apple? Oh, that's right, to Abel or was it Cain? I'm a little confused there. And who brought oh, serpents, the snakes there, right by the tree? Remember you saw the tree? And God the Father said... Don't eat that apple or else. But the woman did a little Jimmy Chango, right? And then all of a sudden he ate the apple and that's it. We've been living in sin ever since, right? (laughs) Because of the freaking apple. Why didn't he just pass on the apple? We'd all be in heaven right now frolicking around. We wouldn't have mortal sin. We wouldn't have venial sin. We would be like the tush, the tukas, the dupa of a newborn baby. But that's not to be. <laughs> I can't rewrite the Old Testament, although others have tried. Let's go back, though, to the number one public safety issue of this entire week. You've heard the name over and over, Alvin Bragg. If you didn't know who he was before, you sure know who he is now. He's flexing because he is the number one justice warrior. At least he wants the world to know. Forget the DA in L.A. who's um, facing recall. Forget the DA in San Francisco who is the product of two revolutionaries uh, from the Weather Underground. Forget him, Boudin. He's under recall. Forget Fox who got reelected as the uh, Cook County uh, corrupt uh, prosecutor. Forget the uh, prosecutor in uh, Philly. He got reelected. They all Soros-supported. St. Louis, Milwaukee. We could go right down the list, Boston. But Alvin Bragg has decided, I'm not going to slip everyone Mickey's and slowly dilute the power of the most powerful district attorney's office in the nation, featured in films, documentaries, and, yes, law and order. So... He won it legitimately. A lot of people don't realize that Alvin Bragg had to go through a grueling Democratic primary in which there were eight, counted, eight candidates. The problem is when people say, oh, Alvin Bragg, if only the other candidates had dropped out, you know, maybe uh, the total of their votes would have surmounted Alvin Bragg, who got a total of 34 percent of the Democratic votes. No, the number two finisher, Tally Weinstein. A Persian Jewish woman, she got 31%. She was a justice warrior. And the third place finisher, a woman named Abushi, first Palestinian-American to run for office, she got 11% of the vote. Combined, they all three were justice warriors. They got 76% of the Democratic vote. And George Soros decided, i tell you what, there are two women running, they're going to split the vote. So you know what I'll do? I'll put it all on, the over-under point spread on the African-American Alvin Bragg. Dropped a million dollars on his campaign. And he was very honest. He did not shade anything he had to say. And how do we know that? Because in June, days before the Democratic primary determined that he was the winner, he was right here in the studios of WABC, a debate sponsored by John and Margot Katzmantidis of Red Apple Media for all eight Democratic Manhattan DA candidates. 
And listen to what Alvin Bragg told our debate moderator, Dominic Carter. My name's Alvin Bragg, and I'm running for district attorney in large part because of experiences I had growing up. I grew up in Harlem during the 80s, during the height of the crack cocaine epidemic. Uh, before I was 21, I had a gun pointed at me six times. Uh, three by NYPD officers during unconstitutional stops, and three by people who were not police officers. Uh, these early experiences are why I went to law school and why for the last 20-plus years I've been fighting in the courtroom for both fairness and safety. I started off as a civil rights lawyer and a criminal defense lawyer. I became a federal prosecutor, and then ultimately I became the number two lawyer in the New York State Attorney General's office, overseeing a staff of more than 1,500. Uh, my work has run the gamut. I represent uh, Eric Garner's mother, Gwen Carr, in a case against the city. I did gun cases as a federal prosecutor, uh, and I've done significant public corruption work, prosecuting two mayors and the former majority Senate leader. I'm honored to be endorsed by Preet Bharara, The New York Times, Planned Parenthood, and Zephyr Teachout. I look forward to talking about my vision for the DA's office this afternoon. That's all he had to say. He was endorsed by the New York Times. It was in the bag. But it's an impressive resume. I mean, the guy has achievements, has notches in his belt. And there's nothing that he said there that I I quiver with. Uh, He's been held up at gunpoint, no doubt. Uh, He's been rousted by the cops unfairly, no doubt. When um, stop and frisk was rampant and cops were being ordered to meet quotas, no doubt. Okay, that's life. So he's going to put his life experiences into becoming DA. That was his motivation. And uh, he revealed to everybody that he was not going to be like Morgenthau was years ago. He would, in many instances, be like Cyrus White Shoes Vance, who halfway through being the Manhattan District Attorney basically canceled the out going after street criminals, blue-collar criminals, and had eyes only for Donald Trump, Donald Trump's family, and Donald Trump's business owners. He basically checked out. But listen to what else Alvin Bragg had to say at that WABC-sponsored debate of the eight Democratic candidates for the Manhattan District Attorney position. Okay, but I, I just want a direct answer. Will you go after quality-of-life offenses, and will you cut the office staff? Sure, I'll start right there. I... I, I... I've said I'm not committed to any particular number of any type of cut. What I want to do is shift the focus of the office from the types of cases where my friends were getting arrested growing up, uh, my family members currently getting arrested that have driven mass incarceration, and shift them to the kind of cases I've done throughout my career, significant uh, drug trafficking cases, significant gun trafficking cases, the kind of things that I know uh, my neighbors in Harlem are sitting around their tables concerned about now. Now, you know, I was listening to Michael Mudicic, Rudy Giuliani earlier today with Dr. Maria at 10. And Rudy said, uh, I didn't know this about him. Rudy, Rudy, I, I got to disagree with you. The guy made himself pers- perfectly clear. He was a justice warrior. He believes in hugging thugs, not locking them up. Listen, listen to more of what he had to say right here before the Democratic primary. And not only that, repeated it at every campaign appearance he made from Inwood to the Battery in Manhattan. I've walked in the shoes of someone who's been affected. When I think about the investment we need in our communities, I think about my mother as a teacher, my dad who ran homeless shelters. When I think about reentry, I think about my brother-in-law who was incarcerated and lived with me. And when I think about public safety, I think about having had a knife to my neck a semi-automatic weapon to my head, and a homicide victim on my doorstep growing up in the village of Harlem. It's time that we have someone who's walked the walk, lived it. This is my work. This is my life's work. Right? I mean, he's telling you like it is. 
Although I think when his daddy was running uh, the homeless shelter, although I stand to be corrected, I think his father admitted to carrying an illegal handgun to protect himself because, let's face it, that can be a pretty tough job. Now, that may not be true, but I believe it is true. And then finally, uh, let's look at what uh, Alvin Bragg had to say at our WABC-sponsored Manhattan District Attorney Democratic primary debate. Mr. Bragg. So, so I want to start by saying, because there's some talk about violence, I, I've lived my entire life in, in you know, a neighborhood affected by violence, so I know it firsthand. Uh, but, but that's separate and apart from what we do um, on, on, in responses on what you, you call the fun. I have a simple test. If it's something my mother or father could have done, we shouldn't have police do it. My mother was a career educator. My dad ran homeless shelters. You look at the homeless sweeps. Police shouldn't be doing it. I know that I've worked for police officers for 20-plus years. That's not something they want to do. They want to do the kind of cases that I've worked on, gun trafficking, drug, drug trafficking cases, the kind that plague my community and communities around the city. So I would say homeless sweeps, uh, mental health responses. Right? We've got models around the country where professionals are going in. And, again, I've worked side-by-side side with officers. They're, they're not running to or signing up saying we want to do this work. They so defund the, the police. No, I'm, t- I'm giving you three casual things where I would so shift, you, you shift the budget. you support it or you don't support well, it? Well, I'm defining the term for, for you okay. from my perspective, right? Okay. So, okay. so homeless sweeps, mental health responses, uh, and policing in schools are places where I would move those buckets of funding uh, to, to out of the police department. I've been clear about that. I've, I've wrote, written an op-ed on it. I think that will make us safer and allow us to focus on gun trafficking and gun trafficking and drug trafficking and the kind of cases I've done. Let me uh, apologize to our listeners. Uh, we have been having a series of problems. I don't know. It always seems to take place when I'm here. With the disquantificator, which uh, deals with the AM signal out of our tower in Lodi, the 50,000 powerful watts of sound, and then our signal from our sister FM station, WLIR, out in the Hamptons. That filters the FM signal. They merge somewhere right on the border of Queens and Nassau County, and then it blocks. It blocks your phone calls. So, Phil, you you got to unscramble it. This has happened to me like uh, every night I've been here. This happened uh, during uh, uh, the time I was with the aggressive progressive here, Chris Hahn. Uh, our second hour, same thing happened. Uh, come on. It's a professional radio station. We can't afford uh, to all of a sudden be having the same problems. Why don't you find our uh, engineer, Dan, who's probably hanging out at Bada Bing, the strip joint, getting a lap, uh, getting a lap dance and a brumski there, which is right next to our tower. Uh, 50,000 powerful watts of sound, which now at nightfall can be heard in 38 states, parts of Canada, and yes, parts of Europe, but even in the Bermuda Triangle, where many a sailor who's gone down to Davy Jones's locker has said, oh, I just heard Frank Morano on the other side at midnight, and then it was over, over. By the way, uh, Cousin Brucey, who actually had his first radio gig in the Bahamas. In the Bahamas. Anyway, let's try our phone lines out, uh, see if the disquantificator is now merging with the spectrometer. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Talk Radio 77 WABC. With the king of New York, Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. Gotta hate this song. Get rid of it. 
I'm going to have to pick the songs. You're, you're killing my flow. You're killing my style here, guys. You're in your 20s. I don't know where you find this music from, but it's just not Curtis Sliwa. You see, the music that I pick, the intros and the outtakes, matches my eclectic personality. So I realize you have a whole bunch of songs in your playlist, and I'm sure it works for other hosts or hostesses, but it doesn't work for my flow, guys. There's a rhyme and a reason that I choose certain songs because it is pertinent to what we're discussing, which is right now a man was flexing on every network in America, the brand-new Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg. Now, ladies and gentlemen, what can be done? This guy is insistent he is not going to prosecute gun crimes. So let me give you an example. In Manhattan now, according to the new district attorney's uh, manifesto, and he is a justice warrior, very supportive of AOC, all-out crazy, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. By the way, uh, she unfortunately caught coronavirus. Why? She was down in Miami Beach, no mask, no social distancing, so guess what? She's got coronavirus, right? She always said she'd be masked up, double masked up, triple masked up. Oh, these evil people, they're not socially distancing. They're not getting their vaccines. They're not getting their boosters. That's why they're getting coronavirus. Because guess who got coronavirus, unfortunately? AOC all out crazy. So what is it that can be done to stop Alvin Bragg in the most prestigious, powerful district attorney's office in America, the Manhattan District Attorney's Office. Do you know what the remedies are, ladies and gentlemen, before I start uh, giving you a spew of consciousness about all the things that could be done? Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. All right, before any of you decide to play Johnny on the Pony and get involved in this conversation, let me tell you, where the power lies here. The governor of the state of New York has the power to remove a mayor. And they don't even have to have rhyme or reason. If you remember in the really bad days of the Italian-Stallion clash between Cuomo and his former friend and co-worker, Comrade Bill de Blasio, uh, it was suggested that Cuomo just remove de Blasio for malfeasance. He could have done that. You don't even need a reason. So now the brand-new governor, Kathy Hokum, Hokum she is because it means nonsense. She's not Hokum, uh, can remove him as the Manhattan district attorney. She can simply say to him, hey, uh, you just got sworn in. According to the Constitution, you said you would uphold the laws of the state of New York. You're not doing that with your manifesto. Number two... We should have recall. We don't have recall in New York State. They have it nearby in New Jersey. They've used recall. They tried it against Murphy, who calls everybody a knucklehead. They've actually removed some mayors of some municipalities in Jersey through recall. It's an excellent tool for voters who become victims of political trichnology, where they they take the old attitude, Democrats and Republicans, do as I say, but not as I do. And actually, it's most used in California. We've seen that in the recent gubernatorial recall of pretty boy Gavin Newsom, where his main opponent was Larry Elder. If uh, the voters had provided the threshold that would have meant a recall for Governor Newsom, he would have been out of the box. 
And then it would have been Larry Elder and all the others. Larry Elder would have ended up becoming the next governor, like Arnold Schwarzenegger, who was the beneficiary of recall years ago against then the sitting governor, Gray Davis, who, unfortunately for him, with all the blackouts and the brownouts, could not get his... uh, get control of the electrical grid serving the largest state with the largest population in the nation from his governor's mansion in California. So Gray Davis was out, Schwarzenegger was in. Now they have a recall effort in San Francisco against the DA, a justice warrior, Boudin, who is the product of two revolutionaries. That's right, they were members of the Weather Underground, his father and mother. Then you have, this is the interesting one, Garçon who is the uh, district attorney of L.A. County, a justice warrior. Originally, he was the aide-de-camp, the deputy police commissioner in L.A. You know who the police commissioner at that time was? Bill Bratton. Nobody ever asked Bill Bratton, what happened to this guy? He's now hugging thugs and turning them loose. Well, he went to San Francisco, and he became the district attorney for about eight years before Boudin. Then he said, my mother isn't feeling well. He's originally from L.A. He went back to L.A. County. And guess what? He got elected L.A. County District Attorney, and now he's subject to recall, supported by George Soros, as Boudin in San Francisco was. So we should have recall. And I'm going to be addressing that tomorrow with Andrew Giuliani, who is my, excuse me, my gubernatorial choice to replace Kathy Holcomb. Uh, Just stay tuned for that tomorrow. And then the most important remedy would be just to turn to the U.S. attorney in the Southern District and say, hey, look, when it comes to gun charges, because quite frankly, in this case, uh, uh, the new district attorney does not want to prosecute anybody who walks into a store with a gun, a facsimile gun, a fake gun, a toy gun, a real gun, puts it to your head, robs you, threatens you, but doesn't shoot you or pistol whip you. You get a misdemeanor, which means if you plead to disorderly conduct, it gets dismissed. How do I know? That's what I always did when I went to court. Don't even argue it. Just plead disorderly conduct. I'll take that judge. They're all happy because they don't want to go to trial. And guess what? It doesn't show up on your record. You know, if you're a good boy for six months, it disappears. It's like uh, if it was written with disappearing ink. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And the reason I know it can work is that you already have the sitting district attorney in the largest county of the five boroughs, which is uh, Eric Gonzalez, Kings County, Brooklyn, who already has in place a plan and a program that he's had in effect for three years. If you get caught with a gun or a loaded gun without shooting somebody or pistol whipping somebody, you don't go to jail like it used to be mandatory one year in jail. You go to remediation once a week. You sit with a counselor in an office and the counselor said, you're not going to carry a gun again, are you, Tyrone? Hey, Alvin, you're not going to carry a gun, right, promise? Oh, I swear, uh, on the Quran, the Talmud, the Torah, the Bible, the New Testament, the Old Testament, I swear, I swear. Okay, just go back out in the streets, don't do it again. Suckers. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to uh, Richard, who's calling from Parsippany. Your turn to be heard here at WABC. Richard? Yes, Curtis. Yes, Curtis. Uh, you know... It's it's pathetic. In most areas, you're very savvy, but in this area of prosecutors and how the criminal system works, you're totally bamboozled. There's no there's no such thing as prosecutors, 
And and city at first they started out as city attorneys. A city would hire an attorney, and if somebody had a criminal problem, they'd go see him and he'd file charges. This guy you're talking about, Briggs, has no such power over criminal matters. Here's how the court system works. Any citizen, a yeah, cop, any citizen can file a criminal complaint. You, you go to any court clerk, any municipal court, they have to accept all criminal charges from any person. Immediately forward it to the Superior Court Criminal Division. It is now introduced to the court. The court sends it on to a grand jury. A grand jury decides. All criminal matters are handled by groups of randomly selected citizens rotating. That's to protect you from any one government person deciding who gets charged and who doesn't uh, get charged. Richard, Richard. Now, uh, you know. Uh, let, let, me, uh, let, me, uh, let me ask you. Hold on. i give you a chance uh, to ramble on. So you're telling me that you don't need a DA, you don't need an assistant DA, you don't need cops making an arrest, filing charges, you don't need any of that, you just need a group of citizens. Is that what you're telling me, Richard? I, I told you anyone can file criminal charges. Yeah, 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 a but cop, but they have to be they have to be charges. applied. They have to be applied. No. How, how the hell are you going to end up getting the person arrested so that they have to come in and face a court hearing and a possible indictment? How are you going to do that, Richard? I said, why? You, you, go to, you go to a court clerk. He gives you a CDR1 or a CDR2. One would be an arrest. Wow. He really believes that. You don't need a cop. You don't need the assistant district attorney. You don't need the district attorney. You don't need no stinking Alvin Bragg. Some guy put a pistol in my face, said to Dwayne Reed. The cop said, why should I bother arresting the guy? I just charge him with a misdemeanor. He goes into court, pleads disorderly conduct. It goes away. Uh, come on. What do, you want? what do you want from me? I'm just trying to work my eight to five, and hopefully I don't get shot or stabbed or beaten up in the process, right? God, that guy was giving legal information. He should actually put a shingle up. Can you imagine how many people he would bamboozle in Parsippany, New Jersey? Yeah, you don't need no stinking cops, district attorneys, prosecutors. Nah, you just go to the clerk and say, I'm filing a criminal complaint against my neighbor. See how far that gets. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to AJ calling. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, AJ. Yes, hello? Yeah, hello, Curtis? Uh, hello, Curtis? AJ, you're calling me, Curtis, right? Curtis Lewa. Hello? AJ, could I ask you a question? Who were you? Hello. Who are you calling, AJ? Calling you. Okay, so you got me now. Why do you keep saying, Curtis, Curtis, Curtis? I'm here. I'm here, AJ. So I got one thing to say. There got to be some more police out here. The government got to do something about it. Criminals walking around. Can't be like that anymore. Uh, AJ, how old are you? AJ, how AJ's gone. There are some confused people out there. I don't know. Maybe he was uh, in that snow the other morning, a uh, victim of the snow blizzard, uh, snow blind. They say that about people. 
I do realize that this can be very therapeutic to a lot of people who have a very difficult time stringing words together. You know, they have to think and then they have to process it. Some people who listen to us who cannot chew gum and think at the same time. I know that. In fact, many of them will be coming on board for the Frank Morano show, you know, from 1 to 5, the other side of midnight. Uh, it was interesting. I was listening the other morning. You, it, it, if you could set your alarm clock, you really have to do this. 4 a.m. in the morning, he has this scam, no, this contest, where it's called the $1,000 Minute. He asks you 10 questions, and you got to get all the answers right in a minute. Difficult to do, which means the $1,000 that he doesn't have, he's never going to have to give you. He's going to be a professional welcher. So the other morning, he gets this Gavon on the line. And the first question, right, you shouldn't hit it out of the park. What city is the Empire State Building in? And what did the guy say? Albany. And then Frank had to let him know, no, you're wrong. And so the guy said to him on the air, although the board operator caught it, F you. Oh, I got to find that cut. We're going to have to play that back. Anyway, let's go to Tony, who's calling from Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Tony. Hey, man. So my brother is a criminal defense lawyer in New York City, and he interacts with a lot of um, ADAs throughout the city. And he became friends with a lot of them. And what he's hearing, like personally, one-on-one from these guys, is that the ADAs in the city are going crazy over this new direction that this guy wants to take the office. And the feedback that I'm getting from my brother and from what he's hearing is that you're going to see a mass exodus if this guy, uh, he really wants to follow through with this policy that he doesn't want to prosecute and he's just going to let people go. Uh, New York's not like Cali. New York's very dangerous, and if we go this direction, it's going to be very hard to go back. Well, well, Tony, uh, San Francisco, Los Angeles are extraordinarily dangerous. The reason I would not want to see the assistant district attorneys leave in mass, the Manhattan district attorney's office, is that Alvin Bragg will just replace them with justice warriors, brand new attorneys, very idealistic, probably uh, members of the Democrat Socialists of America, acolytes of AOC, all out crazy. So you can imagine he will hire people who think as he does, who ideologically believe as he does to hug thugs and not to lock them up and throw away the key. Do you understand that although some may leave in a mad dash to the door, that will give him the reason to go out there and hire justice warriors who think just like him, Tony? This is a complete stab in the heart to Eric Adams because this is not the sort of attention that this guy wants early on in his administration. I don't know about that. I want you to listen to Eric Adams uh, in response to everything that Alvin Bragg has been saying all during the primary campaign many months Uh, In the general election, he did run against a Republican, unfortunately, in Manhattan. Not only Manhattan rejected me overwhelmingly, proving that a uh, very progressive, liberal, democratic, socialist enclave, but they rejected the Republican candidate uh, just as overwhelmingly. And look at how cautiously 
Eric Adams discusses Alvin, I want to hug a thug brag. I like Alvin. He was a great prosecutor. Uh, I believe that he's going to be a good district attorney, and I'm going to sit down and have a conversation with him as we build out uh, what we need to do around public safety so that we're all on the same page. Now, does that sound like Eric Adams is angry at Alvin Bragg? No. Uh, During the Democratic primary, he attended a gathering. Uh, He was summoned by Al Slim Shady Sharpton of the National Action Network on 145th Street, right before the bridge to take over to the Bronx, over the Harlem River. And who was on the stage with him? Alvin Bragg, who was just the Democratic candidate. He hadn't yet won the primary ranked choice voting. And Eric Adams' candidate was asked, uh, it seems that Alvin Bragg's positions is opposite your law and order position. And he said then, as you just heard him say, oh, no, 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 uh, we'll, we'll get along. We, we can agree. In fact, let me hear that one more time. Eric Adams, instead of being belligerent or angry, like it was, remember Hawk Newsom, Black Lives Matter, you don't t- say you're going to burn this city down, pal. Look at how he's parsing his language. And how maybe in some respects, he's on board with turn him loose, Alvin Bragg. I like Alvin. He was a great prosecutor. Uh, I believe that he's going to be a good district attorney. And I'm going to sit down and have a conversation with him as we build out uh, what we need to do around public safety so that we're all on the same page. Our number's 1-800-848-9222. You think maybe uh, he should have given him uh, a once-over? Like, hey, I'm going to challenge you every step of the way. I'm going to contact my very dear friend, Kathy Holcomb, and ask her to use executive powers to have you removed, which she can do. She won't do it. Governors have done that before. Uh, he could have said, hey, I'll lead uh, a recall effort. Unfortunately, we don't have recall. We should at least get recall statewide. Or I'm going to go to the U.S. attorney uh, in the Southern District of Manhattan and ask him to prosecute all the gun cases. So you're not put in a position where a guy walks into a store, puts a gun to the clerk's head, and although he didn't pistol whip him or shoot him, Ends up getting a misdemeanor, which he then goes to court, pleads disorderly conduct, and it goes away. one 800 Let's go to Tyrone calling from Harlem. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Tyrone. What if he uses a baseball bat like in a Dobbs Ferry Deli shooting this guy has an obsession with Judge Janine Pirro. She was on earlier today after my Kumbadichich, Rudy Giuliani, with uh, Dr. Maria. Uh, has he ever called Judge Janine Pirro? I mean, he's obsessed with her, right? He's probably the kind of guy, you know, he's in a single-room occupancy hotel, you know, one room. You know, just basically no frills. With pictures of uh, Judge Janine Pirro all over, you know, the ceiling, the walls. Obsessed. Pal, do me a favor. Call Judge Jeanine Pirro, 11 to 12, Sundays, right before Dick Morris from 12 to 1. one 800 Let's go to Chris and Beth Page. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Chris. Hey, Curtis. I love you a lot. I spoke to you for a while last night. We were great. We did the whole thing with the stylistics and, you know, all the great Philadelphia sound. You're a great guy. I really do like you. That being said, um... Do me a favor, if you can. 
let's let Eric Adams, you know, do what he's got to do as mayor for a while before we really get heavily critical into what he's doing. And, you know, I appreciate it. I supported you for mayor. I really did. But, you know, I just I really want Eric Adams to do his best. I work in the city and de Blasio was the worst mayor in the history of the city for eight years. I'm really pulling for everything Eric Adams can do for the city. And I know you lost, and I just want to plead with you just to give him just a little rope, you know, before, you know, let, let's let him see what he can do before you start criticizing every single thing that he does. No, no, I mean, look, look, I praised him, Chris, right. uh, but if he is appointing a crook to be the deputy mayor of public safety, in effect running the police department, I shouldn't be like Paul Revere on that, saying this guy's a crook. Um, listen, John Kennedy had Bobby Kennedy, his brother, become you know. So you know, you know, there, there's certain things. Listen, and, and, but but no Chris, one... Chris, can we agree that was wrong? Uh, yes, no, I agree with you because I, all all, all, all Robert Kennedy was there was to protect his brother JFK. Uh, right. I, th- I think, you know, that age of Camelot, we realized, was, was garbage, was bogus. Uh, they were just covering up for one another. Then we saw it uh, with Andrew Evilized Cuomo and his brother Fredo Cuomo, who were shacked up out there in the Cuomo compound in Southampton. We're going to talk about that in the next hour. Uh, we saw the loyalty that a younger brother has for an older brother. So why would we want to make the same mistake with his uh, brother Bernard Adams, who was a vice president of parking at Commonwealth University in Virginia, suddenly being elevated to deputy police chief and being in charge of his security. You don't find that odd, Chris? I do find it odd. I do. Don't, I'm not saying that I disagree with you. But what I'm trying to say is I can't begin to tell you how much I've hated the last eight years Working oh, in Manhattan, yes, yes, yes. taking the railroad. No, no, You're I'm not going around. Right. You're absolutely right. 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 Where I'm just saying is I'm praying. I'm praying All to right. God. Well, let me, let me, so let me ask our listeners because yeah. I, I hear you, and you're absolutely right. Uh, anybody but uh, Bill de Blasio and Eric Adams oh, will do a, a much better job. But let me ask oh, this oh, question God. to my listeners. Should I just take the cone of Amrata and say nothing when I see things that are egregious? like with Phil Banks, like with his brother Bernard uh, Adams being appointed a deputy police commissioner in charge of his security detail. You think, Phil, I should just shut up, you know, even though I I know more about the city than anybody, I I should just say, take the code of Omerta. I shouldn't say anything, right? Uh, Maybe maybe I should do that. Just put window shades on my eyes, cotton balls in my ears, Zipper over my mouth like so many of you and say, hey, you know, just give him enough rope to hang himself. These politicians never hang themselves. They hang us by the coolions. Because we pay for this. Who's paying Phil Banks? Who's going to loan the money again? Who's paying Bernard Adams to be a deputy police commissioner? We, the sucker taxpayers. 240000 Hey, maybe you think, no problem. Oh, by the way, before we take calls on that, 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Please, 
if you have to drink a gallon of Red Bull, you got to stay up to four in the morning. For Frank Morano's The Other Side of Midnight, he has this scam. I mean, this contest. If you can guess ten questions right, Maranamai, in one minute, you win a thousand dollars that, quite frankly, he doesn't have. But having substituted for him when he was trying to milk the paternity train, like Boudicet, 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 Boudicet did. You know, when little Carmine came into the world on Thanksgiving night. By the way, Carmine is now a healthy 18-pound baby. Listening to uh, talk radio and having fits of crying. <laughs> I wonder why. I want you to listen. This guy calls up, right? He's got a chance to win $1,000. This is typical of the Frank Morano listeners. What city is the Empire State Building located in? Albany. No, Joe. Albany. Now, we had to delete what Joe then said. He dropped a few F-bombs on Frank. Albany. Need I say more? You just got to listen. It's a parade of buffoons that try to win the prize. And you couldn't answer, you couldn't ask easier questions, you know, sort of like, it's really questions for morons. And uh, they still don't nail it. Anyway, let's go to Debbie, who's calling from Cranford, New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC. Debbie? Hi there. It's um, me, Debbie. Sometime, I think some of the uh, <clears throat> listeners have... Uh, mental health issues and they don't understand what they're talking about. Debbie, uh, can I make mention to you that many of us uh, who are talk radio hosts and hostesses have uh, mental health issues. I plead uh, guilty to that. I've certainly had my fair share. Uh, There are other hosts and hostesses here at WABC who, quite frankly, are crazy, Uh, okay? Uh, So if you're crazy yourself or part crazy, part mushug, part utich, part bots, why wouldn't that be reflected in the people who call you up? Well, the only... I hate that when... You know, they got that phlegm in their throat. Debbie, get rid of that phlegm before you call. Hey, Phil, you're screening these calls. Why don't you tell Debbie, hey, Debbie, cough up that phlegm, huh? God. Uh, Let's go to uh, Dave calling from Cali Cali. Uh, Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Dave. Hello. Is this Curtis? No. Uh... It's uh, Sid Rosenberg. Okay. I want to talk about why you guys are allowing non-citizens to vote in New York City. Dave, you know, excuse me, Dave, uh, you know, San Francisco does that. Well, we understand that. We're fighting that over here. Okay. So now we got what's called ballot initiatives and ballot. Do you guys have that in New York City? Because you guys need to file that immediately. No, 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 no. Uh, uh, luckily, we have the brand new borough president of Staten Island, Vito Fisella, who has gone to court. He's filing to block that. It'll get a, a state court hearing. It seems that the state constitution does not allow for that, but it will have to be a battle in court. But Dave, like San Francisco, which led the way so that uh, non-citizens, green card holders, those with work uh, permits uh, could vote. 
Uh, our mayor vacillated originally when he was running against me. I said no in the debates. Uh, he said no, absolutely. So naturally, I got uh, called xenophobic. I'm a racist. Okay, I've dealt with that before. Then, just two weeks ago, he says, oh, uh, I don't like that that article in this bill that says you can actually vote after you're here 30 days as long as you have a green card. And then earlier on Saturday, he just didn't sign the bill, which put it into uh, law, claiming that, oh, he was uh, lobbied by a number of his colleagues who showed him the light. So I'm a brother in solidarity with you. I'll put my hands across America to Cali Cali. Oh, we yeah. got to stop this nonsense. We got to stop it. This is we did. I was part of a campaign in Florida that did a state constitutional amendment that banned anyone outside of a U.S. citizen from voting in any jurisdiction level. Now, let me so ask you, uh, let Florida, me ask you, Dave. passed with over 77% of the vote. Uh, Dave, these, let me yeah. ask you a question. I realize you, you're excited. You know, it's California. You don't have talk radio like this. So, you, you know, you, you're all geeked up. But, Dave, you sound like a gypsy. You were in Florida, and now you're in California. What, what's the next state you're going to be uh, doing a Tennessee stump-jumping tour to? This is how it goes. A lot of these campaigns, they need people. And when they get people, they, they bring them on. And the point is... I understand. If you've ever listened to talk radio in California like I have, in fact, I actually did a show for KBC in L.A. without even being in L.A., and nobody knew that. Uh, for a guy, the mid-morning guy, who uh, unfortunately had cancer, he fell down a flight of stairs, he broke his hip. oh, God... And I was the mid-morning guy at KBC for a full year. Uh, Al Rendell. Al Rendell, right? Rendell. Where's Rendell? No, 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 no. The former governor of uh, uh, Pennsylvania. I, I'm getting a little confused here, but I did it for a year. Nobody knew. Is that a form of radio technology? No, it's because I know L.A. I battled the gangbangers there. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Talk station with the king of New York, Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. Now, this is the jam. Last night, because you know, on the weekends, it's all Curtis all the time. About 22, 24 hours of Curtis starting Friday night into Saturday, all day Saturday, all day Sunday into the time. Pump it up there, please. Frank Morano comes in and the Mama Luke uh, takes you to the other side at midnight from 1 to 5. But last night was maybe, just maybe, my best program since my return in having lost the mayoral election. I was stuck with one board operator, Bruce, a veteran, no phone screener, no phone screener. He couldn't make it in, you know, with all this COVID going on. And I was listening to Tony Orlando without Dawn. I don't know what the hell happened to Dawn. And he played two stylistic uh, jams back to back, belly to belly. And then, following that, Luther Vandross. Oh, Marona. I had that urge to merge. I was in flashback heaven. I was saying to myself, this is so great. So I just started riffing on R&B. 
I talked about the intruders, the Manhattans. Oh, my all-time favorite group, Blue Magic. And by the way, the two meanings of Blue Magic, both in the streets and on the shelves of drugstores throughout America. It was so good. And then we talked about Luther Vandross and Harold Melvin in the Blue Notes. Teddy Pendergast. And how at the height of his popularity, women packing 18,000 seated stadiums, throwing their panties at Teddy and teddy bears. He was in his brand new Mercedes Benz. And he was driving. And he had this drop dead gorgeous woman draping his arm. And then all of a sudden he crashed. Unfortunately, becoming a paraplegic. And we found out that, in fact, it was not a woman. I think uh, she was going to the University of Pennsylvania at that time and was uh, in transformation, not on the swimming team, but she was orally fixating Teddy at the time, causing him to lose control of the steering wheel and unfortunately crashing into a tree. You think Paul Harvey would do a story like that and then say, that's the rest of the story. Uh, oh, let's go up to Sing Sing and Maria. That's right. How many times have you taken the Amtrak up to Albany and you go right between the two large correctional facilities known as Sing Sing in Austin? Right, Maria? Yeah. Yeah. I'm near Sleepy Hollow and um, Pleasantville, right in between. Oh, God. That's uh, right near Big Skill. Yeah, right near Peekskill. Yes, it's it's pretty decent up here. Curtis, I just want to say that it's nice talking to you. I think you would have been a really good mayor, just like Giuliani. I think you really care for the city and its citizens. And I also wanted to ask you two questions. Sure, sure. The first is, um, why does Frank Morano always lie, like, not lie, but hide his age? Oh, and but he, uh, hold on, Jay Maria. He's not alone. My wife, who's going to be on at 12 uh, midnight, as she is every Sunday to 1 o'clock in the morning before Frank. Uh, I've been married to her. How many years is it? Four, five, six. I, I've lost track. To this day, Maria, I don't know how old she is. When I'm walking in the streets with Nancy, people come up to her and say, what is it like to be the daughter of Curtis Sliwa? I don't even know how old she is, Maria. Well, she's very pretty. I've seen pictures of yes, her. Yes, she's, she's, she, she's drop-dead gorgeous. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, you did good with that. Yeah. Oh, this is the question is, this is the key. In between your, um, your gigs on the weekends, do you go home and rest? Uh, no, I actually go out and patrol the subways because that gets me all wound up, geeked up. You know, I'm down there. It's almost like, did you ever see the movie Taxi Driver, Maria? Yeah, I've seen it. Okay, so you remember, there's De Niro... Uh, and he's driving around, he's talking about, oh, and I can't use the language here. But he's getting all charged up because he sees the human flotsam and jetsam. And that's what happens. I'm in the subway. I see all the homeless people who shouldn't be there, the emotionally disturbed persons who need to be in mental health care hospital, the gangs roaming up and down, no transit cops. And then I bring all of that to the microphone. And a lot of times people misinterpret it, Maria, and they think, God, Curtis Liu has anger management issues, right? Anger management issues. You know something, Maria? I do have anger management issues. 
No, no, management issues. You see, I bit my tongue there. I was so angry. Anyway, in the next hour, we're going to bring you into tune with what's going on at the Cuomo compound in Southampton. Uh, Andrew Evilized Cuomo, King Cuomo II, the son of Mario Facha Bruta Cuomo, King Cuomo I, is footloose and fancy free and planning his political return with revenge and the blood vendetta on his mind. So many have said he would be indicted. Every potential arrest has fallen through. And now I'll be able to connect the dots for all of you. Talk Radio 77 WABC. New York's talk station with the king of New York. Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. They're out there in what is called the Cuomo compound. Out amongst the trendoids, freakasoids, and jet setters in Southampton. And they're listening right now. Oh, yeah. They're listening right now. Andrew Evilized Cuomo. King Cuomo II. The son of Mario Faccia Bruta Cuomo. King Cuomo I. Chris. Pretty boy. Fredo Cuomo formerly with the uh, Cuomo National Network, CNN. And, uh, oh yeah, their late breaker, the wartime consigliere for years for both Mario Faccia Bruta Cuomo and Andrew Evilized Cuomo, Joe Pococo. He's been sprung from jail, having been given six years of federal time for corruption. He was corrupt right down to the marrow of his bone. And they're plotting their revenge. This is like Napoleon and the island of Elba. He's going to come back. And I must tell you that um, I know the Cuomos. I originally was supported uh, as leader of the Guardian Angels with the Guardian Angels when we were under fire by Ed Koch and all the police unions and most elected officials. And the only person throwing us a lifeline at that time was Lieutenant Governor Mario Cuomo who said, these young men, these young women are the best of what New York City can do. Why are we locking them up? Why are we attacking them? Why are we going out of our way as police to force them off the subways and streets? And I appreciated that. And he held our first fundraiser at Magique. Does anybody remember where the old Magique was? It eventually became a Chippendales club. And a lot of you girly girlies were stuffing dead presidents into G-strings of guys who were muscle heads. But that wasn't the old club machine. And all of a sudden, there was a celebrity, a celebrity factor attached to the Guardian Angels. But Mario Francia Bruta Cuomo, when he was governor, deferred to the criminals. He had a press conference, and he said, unbelievably... There's no such thing as Italian organized crime, the mafia, La Cosa Nostra. No, it's an aberration. It's a creation of Hollywood. I said, Mario, you're such a bright guy. 
graduated St. John's Law School, went on to play minor league ball with the Pittsburgh Pirates, were a dutiful son to your father and mother who had come from Italy, who had a little grocery and uh, vegetable and fruit stand in South Jamaica. Come on, Mario, you, you don't really mean that. I remember having a conversation with him, and he said, Curtis, it's an aberration. It doesn't exist. And that's when all of a sudden we no longer broke bread. And many of you remember, I crossed Mario and supported George Pataki to be governor of the state of New York. While my kumbari Cheech, Rudy Giuliani, crossed the marginal line to support Mario Faccia Bruta Cuomo to get elected to a fourth term. Remember, he was on his way to becoming president of the United States or a United States Supreme Court judge. Some Democrats believed after his speech at the Moscone Convention Center in San Francisco that had nominated one of the most boring candidates of all times, Walter Mondale, who had been the vice president of Jimmy Carter. And then remember who he chose as his vice presidential candidate, the housewife of Forest Hills, the gardens. Well, you couldn't be a housewife in the gardens. Uh, you probably have Jeeves. And she did. But we created this myth that Geraldine Farrell, former ADA for the crooked John Santucci of the Queens County District Attorney's Office, was somehow going to the nearby Bohacks or wall bombs and shopping for herself instead of having Jeeves do it. But Mario Cuomo, he gave that speech, and everybody said he will be the next president of the United States. Hmm. See, I've taken you on memory lane. Now, they're sitting around the table. El Capitan, you know, the husky dog. Uh, that is uh, Andrew Cuomo's most loyal friend who left the executive mansion with him. And they're plotting their return. This is revenge. This is a blood feud Italian style. Remember, think of it. Andrew is like Michael Corleone sitting there, and they have a new touch to the cafe right now, and they're looking at one another. They're listening on WLIR, the FM station, our sister station, which has a clear signal right in to the Cuomo compound. And they're saying, Curtis, he knows us. We are plotting our return. Chris, you're going to run PR here. You're going to be on flack. Hey, it's good to have you back, Joe Pococo, because we need our leg breaker. You got the Louisville baseball bats uh, in the trunk of your car. You know, this guy grew up in Rockland County, went to Wagner College in Staten Island, recruited not by Andrew Cuomo, but by Mario Cuomo. And when Mario passed into the hereafter, and there was the funeral mass, the high funeral mass in Manhattan, and obviously his oldest son, Andrew, was giving the uh, eulogy. He said to the gathered throngs, my, f- my father's favorite son was not me, Andrew, or even Fredo, Chris. It was really the late breaker, who was more of a son to Mario than I was. That's right, Joe Pacoco. He's out. He's out of prison. A lot of people don't know that. And so, just like Napoleon on the island of Elba, they are plotting their return. So let's look at it. Uh, there have been a number of women, 11 in total, 
who have said that Andrew Cuomo is a perv. And he is. Governor Perv. Uh, that was his nickname. Let's listen to the most recent one, Brittany Camasillo. That's when he put his hand up my blouse and cupped my breast over my bra. I exactly remember looking down, seeing his hand, which is a large hand, thinking to myself, oh my God, this is happening. It happened so quick. Large hand, she said. You know, amongst Italian stallions, what a large hand means. It's like having large feet. It's like having a big schnoz. It means you got a big uh, piece of manhood below the navel, right? I mean, let's face it. That's at least what Andrew thinks. She made this allegation. Other women made allegations. The Westchester County DA said, no, we're not prosecuting it. Another county DA said, no, we're not prosecuting the allegation. Soros, the Albany DA, said, we're not prosecuting these allegations, although Brittany is a very reliable victim. He's getting a free pass. All 11 women have made strong allegations against the perv of all pervs. Andrew Evilized Cuomo, who had the gall, the chutzpah, the culions, the huevos to say... This is just part of the Italian-American tradition. We hug, we kiss, we squeeze tukas, we grab a woman's mammary gland. You know, we let our hands slide in and out. It's just what Italians do. What a What a shanda! It looks like he's going to get away with it. He's got $18 million in a political war chest to run for whatever office he wants to. Eighteen million scattles. Now, what do you think he's going to do? You think he's going to try to run for governor in a very crowded field of Democrats uh, led by Kathy Hokum? Call her Hokum because she's full of nonsense, not Hokum. Uh, pretty boy Tom Swazi, who's moving to the right. He would have to give up his congressional seat in order to do it. He's got to make that decision by March 30th. I don't think he runs. I think he keeps his seat. And then fends off the Republican challenge for the midterm elections. Then you have Jumani Williams, the public advocate, that fugazi position that just rips off the taxpayers, gives people an opportunity to run for higher office like Jumani. He defunds the police. He wants to defund prisons. And he has the uh, goal to live in the safest place in New York City, the garrison at Fort Hamilton, the army base. I mean, this is a man of the peeps. And he's got to show his ID each and every day as he goes in and out. Protected by 12 different cops of the NYPD that he hates, you know, in different rotations. Driven around by cops in a tax-funded SUV. I mean, does he get any better than that? Right? I mean, think about that. He's not going to run for governor. When Tish James decided, oh, I can't run against Kathy Hochul, not because I couldn't beat her. She really thinks she could. But because I have to prosecute Trump. I got to prosecute Trump. I got to prosecute Trump's kids. You know, Eric Trump, uh, Donald Jr., Ivana. I got to, if anyone named Trump, I got to prosecute them. My whole life is dependent on prosecuting Trumps. 
That was the fake, phony, fraudulent, fugazi excuse she used for dropping out of the Democratic primary to become the next governor. The reality is she couldn't raise the money that Holcomb raised in incredible times because Holcomb sold the executive office. She raised $11 million in like three weeks. She got wine-dined and pocket-lined. So what's he going to run for? Attorney General. Because the only thing between him and getting total revenge as a top law enforcement agent in New York State, which he was before, and boy, he was evil as Attorney General, is Tish James. He wants to run against Tish James, his inquisitor. He's got $18 million to do that. Do you think in a Democratic primary, and let's face it, the Republican challenges will be of little significance. Uh, Nobody of major note has risen to the occasion yet as a Republican to say, I'll take on the winner. Can you imagine that heavyweight battle between Tish James and the return of Andrew Evilize Cuomo like Napoleon returning from the island of Elba with the help of Fredo and now? His wartime consigliere is back. Joe, I'm going to kneecap you with my Louisville sluggers, Pococo. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Andrew, who's calling from Stanhope. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Andrew. Great show. Look forward to it. Andrew Cuomo. The creature from the Black Lagoon, but specifically in the third film, because... <laughs> The creature gets uh, plastic surgery in an attempt to try to look more human and fit in with the humans. But ultimately, the bigotry of the humans, they don't accept him. So he walks off dejected back into the ocean. <laughs> but did you ever see that movie, those movies, Creature from the Black Lagoon? Now, Andrew, let me tell you, when you first came on, uh, we had better uh, conductivity with you on your speaker than you putting your coho lips up against your phone, do you think you could go back to the way you were originally were talking to us? Sorry about that. I don't have my earbuds, so I'll let you do the talking. But, no. Um, no, 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 that's fine. Talk. So your, your analogy is uh, the Black Lagoon movie uh, trilogy? Right. I always thought of that when I see evil eyes, as you call them, Cuomo. He's got the evil eyes like the uh, creature from the Black Lagoon. And he looks like the creature when he got the plastic surgery to look more human, like he's a hybrid, you know, monster human character. (laughs) Andrew, Andrew, can I ask you a series of personal questions? Have you had any edibles today at all? You know, (laughs) I mean, come on. Come on, you're a little little giddy. You sound to me like I'm not suggesting... Uh, that you were doing puff, puff, pass, but maybe a little edible, you know, cookie, you know, just a little My more. wife, no, she's from Thailand where the good weed, the Thai stick, but I didn't smoke any weed in a long time. Oh, but, uh, but, but you did originally smoke Thai sticks, right? A long time ago. All right. It was pretty hardcore. Did it give you a, it it was, give you a good buzz, uh, a Thai stick, uh, Andrew? It did. It knocked you out of the world. You know, and then we cooked, uh, it was you know, like over 20 years ago, and then we cooked, uh, like, short ribs or something, and they melt in your mouth. <laughs> but it's hardcore stuff. Like, you really... Andrew, you know, Andrew, not- you have a weird way about you. You were in Bangkok, weren't you, Andrew? 
Yeah, I've been there three times. Oh, uh, three times. Time. Three times. Into now, Bangkok. Now, which part of Bangkok were you walking around into because there are three red light areas? <laughs> yeah, I didn't go. My wife won't let me go to the red light. But uh, I know when it says entertainment, you know, like she knew. It'll say in English, like entertainment. So, you know, it's a strip club or something like that. Right. And, and in, in Bangkok, Andrew, they have the she-males, the male she's. Yep, yep. They have the boys. They have the girls. They have the mature and a proper age. And then for a lot of pervs who go to Bangkok, they got the children. Right, right. That, and, wasn't, uh, that wasn't you, right, Andrew? Definitely not. And I saw... We watched Anthony Bourdain show, and my wife, he went to some strip club. Wow. And my wife said she purposely kept me away from the the strip clubs. But you might be lady boys, as they call them, you know, that are, look like women. You know, you know, Andrew, you sound like you're talking from a lagoon. <laughs> Sorry. Now, I, I'm and, telling uh, you, I think, Andrew, I think you're being as honest as you possibly can without exposing yourself. You see, Andrew is like a lot of men, like uh, Art Bell, that loony kazuni from Parts Unknown. Remember, he used to dominate the overnights. Before um, Frank Morano decided to uh, take on the other side of midnight, there was a period of time that Art Bell dominated every station across the nation. You could drive from uh, Bayonne, New Jersey, the gateway to the world, and end up in San Diego, Calexico, right near the border. And you could hear Art Bell all night. He broadcast from a double wide-body trailer in Pahrump, outside of Vegas. Not in Clark County, where prostitution is legal, but right near the Chicken Shack, the ranch where prostitution is a way of life. Very weird guy. He loved Filipino women. He was obsessed with Filipino women. He kept going to Manila again and again and again. I have a feeling that Andrew and Stanhope uh, had that same predilection as Art Bell. And by the way, where did Art Bell grow up? In Patterson, New Jersey, up the hill. His daddy was a superintendent of a four-story tenement. He used to go up on the rooftop late at night. And with his Sony little transistor radio like you, me, and so many who are baby boomers, and he would listen to Long John Nebel and Candy Jones on WMCA in the 60s, which perfected theater of the mind. He was the best, Long John Nebel. He had everyone believing that Candy Jones, his wife, was a CIA agent, and everybody believed it. Boy, you see, that would be another... uh, and now you know the rest of that story. You think Andrew is a little bit like Art Bell with the Filipino women uh, or the Thai women in Bangkok? Now, you see, I didn't want to say he was with underaged women, but unfortunately, a lot of guys go there for that purpose. A lot of pervs. I'm not suggesting that Andrew and Stan Hope is. Anyway, our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Talk Radio 77 WABC. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angel. 
Jolts, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. Teddy, Teddy, Teddy. All the things. Oh, God. The women would be throwing up teddy bears from the audience and their boomers and thongs. This guy had it all. And then one day, while driving his brand new silver bench, all hooked up, all tricked out, it's a series of turns and people, they stopped because he stopped at a package store. And they said, look at that drop-dead gorgeous ebony princess who is draped on Teddy Pendergast's arm. Little did they not realize that she was a co-ed at the University of Pennsylvania going through transformation, although she wasn't trying out for the women's swimming team. But it was a man pretending to be a woman. And somewhere on that ride, that fateful ride on that night, Teddy uh, took his hands off the steering wheel while going about 85 miles an hour because he was being orally fixated, crashed into a tree and became a paraplegic until he died. The moral of this story is stay away from oral fixation. It could lead to your demise. There are men and women listening right now who have been taught in grammar school and junior high school and high school, safe sex, right? Safe sex, it's part of sex education. Let me just use as an example in every classroom of America to use the example of Teddy Pendergast and say there at the height of his popularity, his success with every woman in the world throwing themselves We didn't know that he had a predilection for the she-males, the male she's or whatever. But we'll save that for another time. Oh, look, uh, hopefully they have it up on podcast. I believe that my best program since returning from the campaign trail where I lost against Eric Adams to become mayor as a Republican independent candidate was last night. Only one other person in the house, Bruce on the boards, and I had listened to Tony Orlando without dawn after Cousin Brucey from 10 to 12, right before I came on, and he was playing jams, R&B jams, I mean, stylistics. Then he played Luther, Luther, Luther Vandross. When I danced with my father, oh, oh, boy. Tony Orlando's show is really good. You never know what kind of uh, songs that he may... Play. And by the way, as a young man, young Greek guy growing up in the tenements of Chelsea, uh, I think it was on 21st Street, not far from the piers and the Hudson River. He kept swimming in the Hudson River in the summers, like so many people, like George Carlin, the great comedian from West Harlem. And they didn't realize that that was herd immunity they were developing. Because when you swam in the Hudson River back then, you swam amongst a lot of flotsam and jetsam. Little Lincoln logs that were going up and down the river because 
They dumped the sewage in the Hudson River back then in the 50s. And people like Tony Orlando developed a natural immunization from COVID-19. Now, I'm not suggesting you do that. No, not at all. Anyway, let's go, if we can, to uh, Joy calling from Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Joy. Hi, Curtis. Happy New Year to you. Um, I wanted to talk about Alvin Bragg. Mm. You know, his opponent, Tom Kenneth, who, who was superbly qualified, and the New York Post told everybody during the campaign exactly what Alvin Bragg would do because he said it himself. Yes. And unfortunately... Uh, it be, um, many of your colleagues, not all, but many of your colleagues in the media did not give him a fair chance to get his message out, give Tom Kenneth a chance to get his message out, and also very disappointing. Yeah, yeah now I'll, I'll tell you, because I was on the campaign trail with Tom Kenneth running for Manhattan District Attorney, stellar resume. Uh, he was the law and order opponent to, as you mentioned, Alvin Bragg, who clearly was, uh, you know, hug a thug, turn him loose, don't arrest him, don't incarcerate them. It was a clear difference. And I would be at a press conference and I would finish speaking since I was the Republican mayoral candidate. And, you know, they give me a little play. And then here it is. The Manhattan DA Republican candidate is ready to speak. And they're packing up their gear and walking away, Joy. That's right. It's it's unbelievable, and many un, and more unbelievable is that many um, officials, important people in the Republican Party, also did not come out and vigorously support Tom as yep. they should have. Yep. Look, look. Uh, I know the pain that Tom had. I was uh, in his company when these things happened, and I also. Uh, wondered. Look, just in the island uh, island of Manhattan, Joy, there used to be so many Republicans on the Upper East Side. Remember? The one That's place right. you could count on for Republicans was the Upper East Side. In this election cycle, I won election districts uh, in the Bronx, in Queens, in Brooklyn, obviously one Staten Island. There wasn't one district that voted for me or Tom, which had never occurred before. Because you know what? All the Republicans have left to Palm Beach in Florida. Yes, right. They're gone. Jupiter. <laughs> That's right. Jupiter, uh, <laughs> Fort Myers, Sarasota, St. Right. Petersburg. They're out of here. But, you know, one hopeful sign is, you know, anecdotally, when I spoke to people on the street and pointed out what Alvin Bragg stood for and what Tom stood for. They said, oh, thank you so much for telling me. I had no idea. And they said they would vote for Tom. But that's not enough. We needed to get out the media, the message. We needed advertising. We needed big donors in order to do that. So, Well, look, uh, we have only ourselves to blame. That's right. We had a competent candidate against Alvin Bragg. Uh, and I believe when all was said and done, because uh, I remember the statistics like they were yesterday, he only got about 18 percent of the vote. 18 percent of the vote. Alvin Bragg got about 78 percent of the vote. And you would say, my God, this is a guy who campaigned uh, going from neighborhood to a- neighborhood because it's, it's not like he was shying away 
saying, I'm going to turn criminals loose. I'm not going to prosecute them. I'm not going to incarcerate them. I'm against mass incarceration. I'm a justice warrior. In fact, Thomas Kenneth, the Republican candidate for DA, only got 16% of the vote. Alan Bragg got 84% of the vote. My God. But, so, you know, you know did get more votes in Manhattan than other candidates. Yes. Did. Yeah. But see, Manhattan deserved what they voted for. That's the bottom line. You know, everyone in Manhattan, I read the New York Times. I'm educated. I'm omnipotent. I'm pretentious. I'm obstinate. I, I carry the Sunday edition of the New York Times home, uh, which is like you need to cut down half a forest in order to get the hard copy. I even read the letters to the editor, and I have arguments with my liberal and progressive friends on the Upper West Side, Chelsea, and Greenwich Village over the letters to the editor section. They knew what they were voting for. Let's go, if we can, to Geo in Staten Island. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Geo. Yeah, uh, I uh, voted for you. And, uh, it's not you. It's these uh, foolish uh, liberals uh, in New York. You understand that, right? Yes, yes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, so try again. Yeah, no, no, look, hey, it's forgotten. You know, uh, five minutes after the tallies came in, I got some preliminary uh, ballot results. I realized I had lost. I gave my concession speech, and I didn't think about it afterwards. Uh, but now we got an even worse problem, Geo. If you want any kind of fairness in any kind of the races citywide, you're going to have 800,000 green card holders and those with work visas who, because of Eric Adams supporting this effort of the city council to stack the deck, uh, we know all 800,000 are not going to vote for mayor or controller or public advocate or borough presidents or city council people. They can only vote in citywide elections. But if they stand up to the court challenge of Staten Island borough president, your borough president, Vito Fisella, I don't see how Republicans can ever get elected locally again other than maybe on Staten Island jail. Right, right. We got to uh, stop this. Yeah. We got to stop it, Gio. Let's go to Robert in Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here at WABC. Bobby. Hello. Uh, I entered the contest with, though. Hold on a second, Robert. Robert, you're talking uh, like, get get your mouth like coho lips on the phone so we can hear you, Bobby. I'm sorry. No, no, no. Um, it's it's I, okay. It's okay. I entered the contest six times with Frank Morano. And six times I wasn't shown, chosen. But I know if anybody asked me ten questions, I would give all the right answers. All right, so let me, let, let me recap for you, Robert, because you're a little difficult to hear. You squeak in, you're all over the fact. Uh, Robert tried to call up at 4 o'clock in the morning. He was drinking like a gallon of Red Bull just to stay awake so that he could qualify for the $1,000 minute. That means that... If you get all 10 questions right in 60 seconds, Frank Morano has pledged that he'll give you a 1000 bucks. Now, he's known to be a welcher. He doesn't have that kind of money. So uh, he even asked the most simple questions. Can we go to the most uh, recent uh, person attempting to win the $1,000 prize? You'll see how easy it is. That's why I'm telling you, if you're listening to this broadcast right now, you just, you have to 
Stay up till 4 o'clock in the morning. Do everything you can. Get clothespins. Put it on your, your eyelids. Drink Red Bull. Ah, don't do cocaine or anything like that. Don't do meth. But you could easily win. These Gamones, they have absolutely no chance. What city is the Empire State Building located in? Albany. No, Joe. And then he uttered a series of F-bombs. Luckily, the uh, board operator caught it, dumped it, or we would have been in violation of FCC standards. He was eclectic because he thought he was right. He thought the Empire State Building, in his heart of hearts, was in Albany and not in New York City. Now, you could easily win this contest. The questions are soft-serving. They're so easy. But Frank knows that most of his listeners, by that time, 4 in the morning, they're stung God. You know, they're half awake. They're half uh, asleep. They got one eye open. They're listening in an earbud, and he's going to get over. Prepare for this. You can win $1,000. And then let's see. Uh, if uh, Frank has to go and get a payday loan, you know, that's extortionary. A payday loan. What do they charge a vig of 138% in order to pay it out? Let's go to Glenn in the Bronx. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Glenn. Hi. How you doing tonight? Hold on um, a second. Hold on a second, Glenn. Glenn, we got to – see, this is the problem. Ever since I've returned, I've had to uh, sort of take our callers to school there are a series of things you just don't say. I know you say it by habit. It's a, a tick. Uh, it's you're getting a little nervous. Uh, but, Glenn, why do you ask me how I'm doing? Because you know my response is going to be, I've had better days. Uh, Kabish, Kabish, Glenn? Hi, uh, Kabish. Okay. Uh, Here, I got a question for you. Yes. Okay. There's a fire in the Bronx. Yes. Horrible. At, horrible. Uh, a horrible fire in the Bronx. And. WABC is reporting that it's caused by uh, a heating, you know, a, a, a home heating unit. Like, uh, you know, you plug into the wall. Yeah. Yeah, that happens this time of year in a lot of a lot yeah, of parts. Yeah, and that it spread because the doors couldn't close. Now, I looked into this, and the building and the building surrounding it, were purchased by a development company uh, to house low to income, low to middle income people. Now, I want to know why somebody needed a heating unit in a building that should have been heated and why the doors weren't taken care of, and nobody is asking these questions on the news anyway. Well, I'll tell you what, Glenn. I'll do you solid. Uh, that's uh, the area that I started, the Guardian Angels, on February 13th. It'll be our 43rd anniversary, Fordham Hills, a section up there. I know that building in question. Uh, I can't give you an answer right now, but how about tomorrow I head up there, talk to all my contacts. A lot of Dominicans live up there now. Uh, and get back to you and give you um, some solid information about your inquiries, Glenn. I think it's inquiries that should be asked by the news media. Look, first of all, they were lucky that they could even find out where that fire was. You know, you tell them the Bronx, right away a lot of the crews are like, really? You know, they say to the news director. You don't have to tell me I live in the Bronx. Right, which part of the Bronx? 
Uh, call it Morris Heights, sort of. Okay. All right. Uh, all right. Yeah, yeah. Pelham Parkway, you go down Pelham Parkway, you hit that Fordham section, you make a left here, you're right where the building is. I promise you, Glenn, that I will get all the pertinent facts that the mainstream media, uh, maybe not their fault, the fire just happened. 19 are dead, unfortunately, including nine children. Many more injured. Horrible fire. Uh, and this is what happens in winters. You know, when you have these heaters that sap so much electricity. Um, and uh, well, I'll get more information. I don't, I don't want to be hypothetical in terms of what may have happened, didn't happen. Uh, definitely. I, I'll get down to the bottom of it. Anyway, let's go to George in Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, George. Hi. Now, this is a uh, – got to cut out a little bit, uh, you know, from the frivolities, uh, Mr. Uh, Curtis Leva. You're one of the greatest, of course, but let me tell you one thing. I want to say something very seriously, okay, if you don't mind. Regarding the uh, – uh, 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 it, it's going to be $1 million from 800000 by the way, uh, by the time this becomes – uh, the jury, uh, the jury, the facto, you know, law. Uh, next day they're going to vote. Uh, what the hell is this guy talking about? Do we have a translator, somebody. Wait, uh, 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 George, what are Curtis, you doing? Curtis, please. Listen. George, George, let me ask you a question. What country are you from, George? I'm from the United States. No, you're not. In the military. What is your co- country of origin? Where were you originally birthed? Well, uh, that, uh, of course, was uh, I was born in the Soviet Union. No, you I was weren't. Free when we no, left. no, George, you were not born in the old Soviet Union. Tell Precisely us. I was. Tell us your country of origin now, George. Listen, shall I tell you something? Where in the, the Soviet... Wait a second. Where in the Soviet I, Union were you birthed? Georgia. Oh, Georgia. And who was Definitely. born Who was born in Georgia? You're talking about Stalin. Oh, very good. Very good. He just... He looked at it. He Googled it. You really believe that guy is from the old Soviet Union? Really? Georgia. Armenia, Azerbaijan, you go to the Central Asians uh, republics, in the news now, Tajikistan, right? Who, which uh, actor, comedian made a great movie about Tajikistan? And what was the name of it? 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. And in uh, typical old Soviet fashion, the dictator in Tajikistan said, oh, you're going to protest, we'll shoot you dead with full support of the other dictator, Vladimir Putin of Mother Russia. And then there's Uzbekistan, right, where you have so many hairstylists now throughout our tri-state area, mostly Jews, some Muslims, who came from Tashkent, and then there's Turkmenistan, Tajikistan, and Kyrgyzstan. Boy, did I get my stands right, right? No, I'm not turning this into NPR, WNYC, but, you know, I just felt compelled I just felt compelled. It was a stream of consciousness. Let's go to Jim uh, calling from, uh, is this Upper Westchester? Where in Upper Westchester are you calling from, Jim? 
No, it's not Upper Westchester. It's Lower Westchester, Mamaroneck. It's right, right uh, before Rye, where Janine lives, and, and on Larchmont, where I, where I wouldn't belong and you wouldn't either. Mamaroneck, Southern Westchester. <laughs> yeah, I, I'd be uh, like a Yonkers guy, Nodine Hill. No, 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 no. Uh, Mamaroneck, but originally Astoria, which is where I still consider myself from because I grew up there. Uh, what I want to talk about is Adams. Uh, now, he, the, I don't know if he realized something. He says he wants people to come back into the offices in Manhattan mostly to help uh, provide jobs for the people who provide food and other services. But the thing is, beyond COVID, Bragg is creating a situation where people will be afraid to come back because of crime. I mean, if I worked in Manhattan, I'd say I don't want to go back aside from COVID because the thing is you're getting out of a Grand Central wearing nice clothing. You may be more of a subject uh, for crime. And the thing is you can't have it both ways. You can't say you're not going to prosecute criminals and expect people to come back into Manhattan if their bosses will let them work from the suburbs. Now, now I, I take a completely different position, Jim. Um, I don't believe it's because of crime that people are not coming to work in these tall, glass-encased, steel-concrete edifices, these empty office buildings, only 25% of the offices are now occupied with workers or whatever goes on uh, for the purpose of its leasing or rental arrangement. Only 25%. That means 75% of the commercial property is empty. And if you walk the side streets of Manhattan uh, or the avenues, you see every day now that we're into the new year, more and more Stores are closed, more and more signs, uh, lease available, rental available, and it's only going to get worse. Even if Eric Adams improves the crime situation, which he will in the subways, in the streets, in the parks, he will. Even if we get over this COVID, all these variants, the reason that we are going to continue to have vacancies there are multiple reasons. Nobody wants to deal with it. But I've been honest uh, all during the campaign that I ran for mayor. Why should people return when they've discovered a better quality of life in their suburbs where many of them live? They're able to spend more quality time with their children, their grandchildren. Uh, women no longer have to hear their husbands give as an excuse, Oh, i got to work overtime tonight. I won't be back until 3 in the morning. Well, what do you mean? You're working from home. They they shop and patronize businesses in their communities. They go for walks. They exercise. They don't have to spend two hours like sardines traveling to work and then two hours going back from work. Forget the crime. Forget the COVID-19. A lot of these workers have told the CEOs, oh, you want to cut my salary by a third if I don't come into the office buildings of Manhattan? Go ahead, cut me by a third. I would prefer a better quality of life. And CEOs were shocked. Eric Adams got all tough with the CEOs, say, you've got to get him back into the office buildings. Then it's good that he rethought, he rethought that, uh, that uh, composition of what he was putting out. There. Please come back just three days, three out of five days. Please, please, pretty please, with cherries on it. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. New York's talk station with the king of New York. Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC.
Who's this? Chaka Khan? Chaka, Chaka, Chaka Khan? Chaka Khan, by the way, who every year would go to the uh, annual Savior's Day event in Chicago at the McCormick Center, led by who? Screwy Louis Farrakhan of the Nation of Islam. Well, you see, Chaka Khan, oh, one of my all-time favorites, but... I don't know what she saw in Farrakhan. Not that she had, uh, not that she was a paramour, but she was like brainwashed, like so many others out there. Anyway, let's go back to the phones because now you've got me upset by playing chaka 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 Khan. Let's go to Giuseppe Joe in the Bronx. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Joe. Hey, how are you, Curtis? A uh, pleasure to speak to you. Um, I uh, I'm I'm retired. I'm out. 11 years from NYPD. Um, I know everybody's all happy about this new mayor, Eric Adams. Uh, to me, he's divisive. He was, uh, it was brought up about nepotism with his, his brother becoming whoever he's becoming. He claimed white nationalists that are supposed to be in the Bronx somewhere. <laughs> he did that on an interview. I, I, I don't get it. I don't. Where, where are they? I, I have no idea who that is. Oh, oh Joe, Joe, uh, the Bronx has the least number of white people in the city of New York. Uh, you go to Morris Park, you go up to the Neck, uh, you're hard-pressed, Riverdale. Uh, can, let me play the cut. Let me play the cut so everybody is aware. Eric Adams, unexpectedly on Friday, after allowing Phil Banks... Uh, the bad banks that came to uh, his brother's Abel, who was the good banks, uh, was uh, talking about how he was being appointed as deputy mayor of public safety. Eric Adams didn't even announce it. Phil Banks did. He's already been in one police plaza. He's a crooked cop. But then all of a sudden, at 4 o'clock, a release comes out that Eric Adams' younger brother, Bernard Adams, is being appointed as the deputy police commissioner in charge of governmental affairs, and that all of a sudden he has a special job. Now, here's a guy who had been a sergeant in the NYPD, but has been living in Virginia since 2006, vice president of parking at Commonwealth University, in which he rides around in a golf cart to make sure nobody is parked in the chancellor's parking spot and nobody is cheating by parking in those spots put aside for handicapped parking, Joe. And now all of a sudden he's elevated. Listen to Eric Adams explaining why he felt he needed the help of his younger brother, Bernard Adams, because of white supremacists. But let me be clear on this. Uh, My brother is qualified uh, for the position. Uh, Number one, he will be in charge of my security, uh, which is extremely important to me in a time when we see an increase in white supremacy and hate crimes. I have to take my security in a very serious way. Joe, can you believe that? Uh, I didn't know that the number one problem facing public safety and the life of the mayor in New York City were white supremacists. Curtis, I grew up in the Bronx. I, I I I worked for NYPD for over twenty years. I, I this is he, he was divisive before he became mayor. I'll be honest with you, he was divisive in the uh, with stop and frisk. He uh, that this is who he is. You, you can't change his spot. Yeah, so, but Joe, I mean, Joe, Joe, understand this is being done for a pragmatic reason. He is an enigma. Of course, we didn't even know where this guy lived. I know. 
apartment 22H, uh, you know, in Fort Lee. He co-owns the apartment with his domestic partner, uh, who you never see her, Tracy Collins, but it does. They co-own the apartment. But he wants his brother there because when the clock strikes midnight, Eric Adams, who is a ball of energy, has said he likes to sample the nightlife in New York City. He said that a number of times. And you know, Joe, that the moment the clock strikes 12, if you're in a nightclub, it's nothing but double trouble after 12. Absolutely, Curtis. Absolutely. So if he has a normal intel uh, security provided by the NYPD, they're going to be reporting uh, to their captain saying, you know, Eric Adams is putting himself in harm's way. You know, he, he's in a club. Uh, people are doing drugs. Eric doesn't do drugs. He doesn't drink. But you know in these private clubs, they got lines of cocaine that start at the front door and go to the bathroom. And that would put a mayor in a very compromising position. His brother will protect him by making sure that nobody says nothing because they'll take the code of Omerta. This is why this is happening, Joe. Especially the white supremacists, Curtis. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. You know, a lot of them. You know, I've been to Morris Park there. They're all hiding, you know, uh, up in the trees, along the neck. That is bull feathers, Joe. That is such bull feathers. And the media refuses to call them out. And you know why? You know why, Joe? His complexion is his protection. Because the moment they give him a hard time, he will do what he's done his entire life and call them racist, like he did me in the mayoral run, like he did Andrew Yang in the Democratic primary. He plays the race card. Absolutely, Curtis. It was a pleasure talking to you. Yes. I love you, man. I wish you, I wish you were mayor right now. No, no, that's okay. We want Eric Adams to do a good job. But when he gets involved in this drama, this is real double trouble. This is nepotism of the worst type. Let's go to Charlie in Hell's Kitchen. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Charlie. Yeah, I wanted to talk about the uh, tragic fire in which 19 people, including nine children, were killed. He had a previous caller who called in with some misinformation. First, he said it was bought by a new developer. I'm not sure what that has to do with the building or not. But then he said something about the uh, doors not fitting. Well, it was reported on WABC News that it was a space heater, one of those kind of heaters that you plug in. It evidently overheated. And when the doors are open, when some of the doors weren't shut, it caused the fire and the this, this smoke, or mainly the smoke, to go up uh, different flights of stairs. And that was very treacherous and tragic. And I just want to say this. As founder of the Guardian Angels, I'm sure you're familiar with fire safety principles and practices. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and Charlie, uh, as a youngster, when I was delivering the Daily News, uh, I saved five people from a burning building. So I know the perils. I know what to do, what not to do. But I will tell you this, Charlie. I will venture up to uh, Fordham, where I started the Guardian Angels. That building is not far from the McDonald's I used to manage at night where I ran the first Guardian Angel patrols. I'll get the nitty-gritty details, but I'd like to give a shout-out to all the firefighters, uh, members of the UFA, uh, members of the UFO, uh, the officers, and members of the EMT, Charlie. Did you see how brave uh, they were in going into the belly of the beast to rescue? Absolutely. Now, Absolutely. The firefighters don't get enough credit. Right, right, but did you notice, Charlie, that so many of them were white firefighters? 
who have been accused no, I didn't notice that. Right, who have been accused I didn't notice that. of they're rescuing African immigrants. Right, who have been accused of being systemically racist. Systemically racist. Here they were putting their lives on the line, crawling into the belly of the beast. This was a raging inferno. You could tell from the pictures, the video is mostly uh, white firefighters. Uh, And the flames coming out the window, right? They didn't care. So I'd like uh, those critics of the fire department, of which there are quite a few, including Eric Adams, uh, who uh, insinuated uh, in the campaign that... Some of them were guilty of systemic racism. That when you see these men and women, they get the call, they put on their uh, uh, bumper pants, bunker pants, and put on their hats, they put on their jackets, uh, their boots, everything that they need. They jump on their trucks, whether it's the ladder trucks, the water trucks, whatever trucks they're assigned to, the EMTs go. Uh, the officers go, the men and women, the UFA members go. They don't look at the color of the people that they're rescuing. I can assure you I've been in many, many firefighter scenes. In fact, one of my best guardian angels ever, Eddie Brown, who was assigned to Bryant and Seneca in the heart of Hunts Point uh, during the crack cocaine days, and I would visit him and the, the guys assigned to that house on a regular basis. they extraordinarily brave. And to be tarred and feathered, and it's suggested that they are products of systemic racism. When you see the heroism exhibited during a day like today, shame on those who would say that. You want to blame a few for having uh, certain racist beliefs, that's fine. But to blanket them with a charge that they're systemically racist. We saw the video today. They put their lives on the line for people of color like they always do at the FDNY. Up next, it's our pet hour on Animal Welfare Hour with my wife, Nancy. New York's talk station with the king of New York. Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. I had a dream We were sipping a whiskey neat Highest floor of the Bowery And I was high enough Somewhere along the lines We stopped seeing eye to eye You were staying out all night And I had enough No, I don't wanna know Where you've been or where you're going But I know I won't be home And you'll be on your own Another jam that I and my beautiful wife Nancy listen to on a regular basis. 
little electronic dance music. Not necessarily an artist I normally listen to, uh, Selena Gomez. But it is a great jam. Uh, am I right, Nancy? So right. And I notice that at times you'll play it over and over and over. You'll loop it and loop it. And we're listening to it for hours on end. Yeah, absolutely. Great stuff. And by the way, great video that's attached to it. If you get a chance, you've got to watch the video with the music. But this is the beginning of our weekly pet hour, animal welfare, animal rights issues, with our animal welfare rights expert, Nancy, my wife, who is a cat rescuer extraordinaire. (laughs) And already we have a number of calls uh, that are calling up about all kinds of animal issues. So uh, let's start with what was the dominating story affecting human beings uh, and animals. And that had to do with the uh, papal dictate from the Vatican last Wednesday in which Pope Francis, while speaking to a general audience, bemoaned the global decline in birth rates. He described it as a demographic winter and was critical of couples who prefer to have pets rather than children. He said people who have pets instead of children were being selfish, exhibiting a denial of fatherhood or motherhood that diminishes us and takes away for our humanity. Uh, how did you react to that when you first uh, heard of that uh, universal decree of the Pope? I mean, obviously, it's uh, for, for a Pope that specifically has, uh, has chosen the name, which is the, the overseer and a caretaker of animals, I found that really disturbing that that would be uh, a statement that he would make. I, you know, I, again, I, I don't know why he chose to single out um, animals in the, I mean, think about it. The decision for people not to have children um, obviously is highly personal to each couple, but I think you can look at a lot more factors um, that have to do with, you know, economics and, um, you know, like why people would not have children, but to suggest that uh, by adopting an animal, by having a pet, you're actually foregoing some obligation that you're supposed... I, I, I just found it absurd. I don't understand it. Well, it's not uh, a newfound principle of his. It's 2022 now. In 2014, in an interview he did with Il Messaggero, he was asked whether some in society valued pets more than children. Uh, Pope Francis said that it was a reality that reflected a sign of cultural degeneration. Um, I mean, again, I'm I'm not sure how how you can make that statement when uh, the idea of adopting animals who are without homes and in need would seem like the appropriate, um, righteous, kind thing to do. I mean, just setting aside the obvious just love and companionship that they offer. Um, I again, I, I why you would single out this? I, I just find completely absurd. And as someone who clearly is, um, you know, influences a lot of people through their their dialect, I think you have to be a lot more cognizant of being careful with your words. And the fact that this statement has already been, you know, put out there, 
it could actually lead to some bad results for animals. And, I mean, that's something that's, that worries me more than people, you know, giving it any uh, viability or not. It's the fact that it could lead to some bad consequences for animals. Well, you know, when I was at the Vatican many years ago and went on the tour there as I was visiting some of the guardian angel chapters in Italy, I noticed that the symbol that was most prominent everywhere other than the crucifix uh, was the dove. Mm-hmm. I mean, the dove is almost like the sign of the papacy. Uh, in almost everything you see, there are doves uh, that are aligned with the papal symbols. And, you know, later on, we're going to talk about uh, this past week, uh, January 5th, was the Day of the Birds, where bird watchers had c- completed uh, three weeks trying to count all the birds that either nest here or are migrating, a gargantuan situation. But on this uh, note of the papal decree, he's been very consistent for eight years, constantly telling people they shouldn't have pets. In fact, it's ironic because... The previous pope that he replaced, and remember, uh, the pope that he replaced, I called him the German shepherd, uh, the German pope. He actually retired. Normally, uh, either a pope is incapacitated or dies before he's replaced, Pope Benedict. Pope Benedict was an avowed cat person, loved cats, and they actually referred to him, the German pope, as the German shepherd. But I guess... Down there in Buenos Aires, uh, Pope Francis originally was a bouncer outside of a gin mill, uh, became a liberational theologist. Uh, I guess there was no tolerance for for pets uh, whatsoever. I, I would suggest to everyone out there, Nancy, that they uh, launch uh, an email and letter-writing campaign uh, to the papal uh, seal in the Vatican, urging him to amend this statement, which, as you said, could cause a lot of harm to... Uh, to a lot of animals who should be kept out of harm's way. You would think that the Pope, like St. Francis Assisi, would become a protector of all these animals. I mean, and, and also considering the fact that, I mean, if you just step back and look at the situation most animals are in, uh, whether it be, um, you know, in, the, in being tested on or they're just raised and born to be food, how many animals are abused, I mean, these really are innocents. And they require protection. So it's not that it has to be everyone's, um, you know, purpose in life to do so. But when you're in such an important position to speak in such a negative light against such innocent creatures, I mean, I I really think it's a a very poor, a very, very poor um, optic, honestly. All right, let's open up our phone lines. This is our pet hour. All things involving animals, all different kind of animals from an animal welfare, animal relief uh, perspective. Uh, uh, Our expert here is my wife, Nancy, who has dedicated her life to caring for animals and especially uh, rescuing cats uh, who are in shelters who could easily be destroyed or euthanized and tending to feral cats in cat colonies uh, in northern Brooklyn. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Uh, if we run out of time, you can always go to guardianangels.org. That's the website, guardianangels.org. Hit the tab of uh, Guardian Angels Animal Protection. Send your inquiry, your question, or your statement to Nancy herself. She's the director of our program there, and she'll get back to you. The next big story came out. Uh, Nancy, the pit bulls 
chomp on more New Yorkers than any other breed. So more than seven times more than any other breed, the pit bulls are more likely to bite people. And there seems to be this ongoing uh, debate, even amongst uh, animal lovers, that pit bulls are a breed of dog to be feared, and others who say even the pit bulls who have been brought up the wrong way to be fighting dogs are misunderstood and can be rehabilitated. What have your experiences in the animal community led you to believe? Uh, well, I mean, uh, unfortunately, there's uh, a consistent war against uh, this particular breed. And again, uh, the idea of um, labeling a dog a pit bull by default, it's like maybe in the past you would have called a, a dog that had, you know, a mixture of several breeds, which many do, um, a mutt. And now by default, a lot of them are labeled um, pit bull, pit bull mixes, they call them. So it's not to say that it's really a breed issue. Um, there's, there's a little bit of the mislabeling. But in terms of aggressive animals in general, uh, the same way that you bring up uh, so, so, you know, on point that all of the cats have different personalities, uh, you know, every animal has a different personality. So a lot more of this has to do with the way that they're being raised and that they're being treated. And I also think the problem, too, is that because there is such a um, – there's so much work and effort to try and, um, you know, marginalize these animals. Like, for instance, even like in the NYCHA housing, uh, they've banned them since 2010. So anyone who had these dogs now – what they're forced to do is, if they weren't forced to give them up initially, a lot of people, they just, obviously, that that they're, they're pets, they're going to keep them. So then they'll be walking them at nighttime, or they try to keep them a little bit undercover. And so, I mean, they're not even able to interact the way normal dogs would. So, I mean, there could be something to do with that. You also have a lot of people who are doing dog fighting, and obviously the dog of choice. They're not going to use a tiny dog. They're going to use a big dog. So... I think a lot of these numbers get skewed in a really, you know, in a bad way, and it really makes the entire breed look like, you know, you need to to marginalize them. Oh, we don't want to have any more of them. They're problems. It's not them that are the problems. It's the people who are the problems. I think the sooner we acknowledge that, I mean, we don't even have aggressive laws that uh, will, you know, uh, penalize people who are, you know, contributing to this bad behavior. So, Obviously, it's going to continue. So, I mean, I think we need to start addressing the bad behavior of people first before we put the blame on the animals. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And then we travel all the way upstate New York, north of Albany. There is uh, a guy named Mr. Flat who is in his apartment, and he has a beloved pig a pot-belly pig that is called Ellie. It's 100 pounds. He claims that it is an emotional support animal because he's had a series of uh, mental health issues. The town wants to evict him. They want to take uh, the pot-belly pig from him, send it to a nearby animal shelter. Uh, you've studied this case intensively, uh, what do you think should be done uh, on behalf of uh, this 100-pound pot-belly pig owner who claims that without his pig, Ellie, he would be a hot mess? 
Well, okay, so yeah, I mean, from a legal perspective, and I find this uh, this case obviously very interesting. Um, the issue here with with this particular um, animal now, he's had this uh, pig for a long time, and for whatever reason, even though there hasn't been any um, complaints from uh, neighbors or residences, there seems to have been this very targeted approach to. Uh, tell him, and, and it's actually not that the, it's just in an apartment. He has like um, property, so the the pig is like living in basically normal situation. There's no instances of um, abuse or anything of that nature, and it is technically classified as an emotional uh, service animal. Now they've had uh, he's had 14 court appearances in the past two years, and so what happened is because the uh, the town wasn't successful in sort of uh, ridding his household of this pig. Now they did what is actually, you know, somewhat typical, sadly, when they can't win in the courts, they just go ahead and they change the law. So just overnight they changed the law. So now this guy's in a really big um, in a really big bind because, you know, they, they would overwhelmingly, they just changed the law on him. But now the, the uh, legal aspect of it is that this really is like an uh, unlawful discrimination. Because they're alleging, oh, this law has nothing to do with this particular person. Uh, you know, it would, you know, we're just making, I mean, and they're not really giving any valid reason. And yet the only person that this law impacts in this town is him. So I think he has a, a great case because of the the fact that they're clearly targeting him and they're trying to use this guise of, well, we just changed the law and now you don't comply. I mean, even any normal thing would have uh, if they change the law, they they grandfather something in. I mean, you can't just you can't expect that. Oh, we just changed the law, so now you know you have to you know rid yourself of your your pet, your emotional. And actually, this pet is uh, already classified as an emotional support pet. So there is a level of uh, legal protection there as well. Uh, why they're targeting him so hardcore, I'm not sure. Maybe there's some background history, but there's no question. They're just going after him individually. Absolutely. Now, Nancy, uh, when I first met you, I thought your full name was Nancy Esquire Regula. <laughs> okay. Until you explained to me the Esquire was actually at the end of your name, Nancy <laughs> Regula, and meant that you uh, had passed your law boards and you were a practitioner in criminal law, uh, common law, uh, and E-E-Law. E-E-Discovery, correct, yes. Right. So if, uh, hypothetically, if you had been hired by this guy, Mr. Flat, on behalf of his beloved 100-pound pot-belly pig, Ellie, what defense would you offer in court? Oh, well, I would, well first of all, I would claim that it's, a, it's an awful discrimination, and the, the, the basis on that would be, it, it's called disparate impact. So basically what that means is that you have a law that on its face seems neutral, but when you look at the actual impact, so uh, this has been um, a, a defense that has been used uh, through the years with different um, religious sects when they have um, animal sacrifice, for instance. It's like, oh, well, all of a sudden the town comes up with a, a new regulation, like, oh, you're not prohibited to, you're, like, you're prohibited, rather, from um, doing anything, like, related to this, but it's clearly targeting a religious sect. And 
this is this is the defense that they use to sort of um, get around that law and show that you're actually discriminating against me. So in this situation, I think he has an absolute, you know, fantastic um, case where he's being discriminated against and they're solely going after him. That's it. So, yeah, I think he has a great case here. And, and, it, and the, the neighbors and the people in the town, everyone is in support of him keeping uh, his emotional support big. So it's just, again, you know, sometimes, you know, I mean, you know how it is, unfortunately, with these people, they, they, they have this thing in their head when they're, they get a little bit of power and it goes to their head. And I think right now it's like they're just trying to do whatever they can to be right. And it's just tough for them to step back and say, Okay, you're fine, and you. I think it's now. There's a lot of ego stuff involved here. Well, now uh, this past January 5th, a few days ago, was the annual Day of the Birds. It was the culmination of three weeks of bird watchers counting all the birds they could, either in flight, migrating, or nesting. You know, the guys uh, wearing the safari hats with the shorts, the utility belt. Uh, at times they look uh, like nerdy, uh, you know, nebbishy, schlubby, uh, uh, you know. So I, I, yeah. you, may, you say that like it's a bad thing. <laughs> uh, how important are they, and they appear to be like everywhere? Mm-hmm. No, I'm asking you, how important are they, uh, this, well, this count? Uh, and uh, they appear these bird watchers to be well, everywhere. Yeah, so I mean, absolutely. Yeah, so their purpose obviously is to uh, really bring attention to what it is that's going on, uh, you know, with with birds all around the world. And actually, it got me into looking this up as well to see um, every year it's estimated that one billion birds are killed because of this. So the the ability to be able to count when you start seeing numbers like that you realize this isn't a an issue that's uh you know like a small issue i mean this is tremendous so i mean to bring attention to it i mean obviously you need to have people who are on the ground doing this stuff and like most things uh, that involve animals a lot of volunteers so people who are passionate they are going to spend the time doing this stuff and it's because of the information that they gather because otherwise there's no one else who would be funding it. There'd be no other way to get this direct information. And this is the information that will hopefully lead to uh, legislation being made, I mean, as it has in different areas. Well, where, I, I've yeah. seen them out there, especially yeah. in Central Park uh, near the Rambles going, whoop woo woo <laughs> yes. They make all kinds of bird sounds. There's a, there's a lot of great birds in Central Park if you, if you just take the time to look. I guess I'm going to have to get my binoculars uh, and go out there. Anyway, our number is 1-800-848-WABC. It is our weekly pet hour uh, before we hand off the 50,000-pound-full watts of sound to the Mama Luke, Frank Morano, who will take you to the other side of midnight. Uh, and if we can't get to your questions or statements, you can always go online to guardianangels.org. Hit the tab, Guardian Angel Animal Protection Division. My wife, Nancy, is the director and we'll get back to you expeditiously. 27 WABC. New York's talk station with the king of New York. Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. Too bad you don't have the words here. Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five. 
Make that six, seven, eight, or more. What's the name of this jam? Ha, ha, ha. Oh, it is the best. The message. Rap song that has ever been written. But anyway, we're talking about animal issues, animal right issues, and clearly um, what you can do to rescue uh, spayed and neuter uh, pets, uh, take care of feral cats, a whole panoply of animal issues as we do every Sunday night going into Monday morning before we pass over the microphone to uh, the Mama Luke, Frank Morano, on the other side of midnight with my wife, Nancy. Uh, let's go to the phones. First up in the queue is Richard calling in Rockland County. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Rich. Hi, guys. Um, about uh, the end of July of this year, I'm sitting on my front porch, which uh, views my lawn, my neighbor's lawn, and uh, it's a highway for uh, birds, squirrels, chipmunks, and other things. And I'm waiting for my buddy to come and pick me up, and we have to go someplace. And I noticed that there are no birds on my lawn. This is uh, highly unusual. So I look in the trees, there's no birds in the trees. I look on my neighbor's lawn, and there's, there's no birds on his lawn. There's no birds in his bushes. And the same thing with several other neighbors. So my buddy comes, and uh, we discuss uh, the fact that he doesn't see any birds either. And we go driving around for about an hour and a half all over Rockland County, and we see one bird. There are no birds dead on the road. No wow. birds dead anywhere so he looks it up on the internet and this is uh end of july beginning of august and uh people are complaining that all the birds have disappeared all over the northeast and uh right now today or the last week i've been uh checking out to see it because my house is surrounded by uh foliage uh the birds gather there in the cold weather um, to uh, get out of the wind. There are no birds in the foliage in the front of my house. Hmm. So what do, you, uh, uh, what do you equate that to? Well, I think it has to do with the uh, uh, smart meters on people's houses. Hmm. There's a great video called Smart Meters Must See. All of those smart meters are 5G or supposedly, but they're all being pumped back to information is being stolen off your uh, your systems in your house. Well, and I, I, I'll tell you what. I, I'll tell you what. Since five uh, G is the rage, uh, Nancy, next week, uh, can you do a deep dive on that? Okay, and, and I will. See, I will. Uh, what impact it's having on birds? By the way, what impact did it have when you uh, you hurt your back and I was uh, uh, giving you Bengay baths uh, and having you swallow those horse pills, those Dome pills? Did it do anything for you? Uh, let's see. So the actually, in conjunction, those those two things did work. Uh, I was in tremendous pain, actually. Um, so, but I, I think that I think the Bengay. I think it's like also the smell too. It's like kind of like a menthol type smell. I think you know it's, it's something like that. I I don't know. I, it's, but but combined together, after I I took out the first thing you tried to give me, which was the burn cream. You know, I I was doing a lot better. Well, if you don't want that, ladies and gentlemen, you don't want to stink like Ben Gay. You don't want to be swallowing horse pills like Doan's pills or put on the burn cream, uh, a much better <laughs> remedy. 
is Trinity Rehab. Look, people are flocking there from Pennsylvania, from the Mid-Hudson Valley. They're coming across the GW Bridge uh, from Manhattan, where we live, uh, because they don't use pharmaceutical products at all, no painkillers. They have the EPAT machine. It's FDA approved. Uh, what it does is it has acoustic wave technology uh, used to break up your scar tissue, and it gets rid of pain el rapido. So it's effective for neck pain, tennis, elbow, shoulder tendonitis, plantar fasciitis, plantar fasciitis, and knee pain. In just three five-minute sessions, you can be virtually pain-free, and you don't have to be popping pills. They're all over New Jersey. Uh, they just opened up in Clifton, Paramus, Wayne, Short Hills, Emerson, East Windsor, Shrewsbury, Wall, Wallbridge, and two brand-new locations in Hackensack and Wyckoff. Call Trinity Rehab today at 800 518 that's 800-518-0977. Or go to trinity-rehab.com. Let's go to Margie, who's calling from Hewitt. Uh, your turn to be heard here at WABC, Margie. Hi, Curtis. Hi, Nancy. So nice to hear you guys together. Um, <laughs> Thank I you. I just wanted to – oh, you're very welcome. I just wanted to call out the Pope for the absolute hypocrite that he is. Um, uh, the basic tenet of the Catholic religion is pro-life, and he welcomed both uh, Joe Biden and Nancy Pelosi into the Vatican um, and did not call them out on their beliefs and their support of abortion, yet he is calling out animal lovers that are just, you know, trying to get along in this world and that's my comment and i'd like to hear your you guys' response to it well i will tell you this as a, a young child i think i was in third grade um i was told by the nuns at saint matthew's elementary school on eastern parkway utica avenue uh they were the irish nuns uh, they hey, you get a chance you got to go see saint francis uh, of assisi it was a full length movie playing in theaters I remember I went to uh, the Canarsie Theater on 92nd Avenue L after school one day. And it was like me and two other people there, uh, two women. You can tell they were very pious. They were dressed all in black, obviously traditional Catholics, maybe even widows. I don't know. And I was influenced by that uh, movie, Nancy, because it showed how uh, Francis had given up all of his wealth, all of his money, and just devoted his life to the care, the maintenance, and the love for animals. And that was always part and parcel, part and parcel of Catholic dogma and Catholic law. And this Pope Francis seems to be discarding it. I mean, I, I, I don't understand how you can not recognize that these lives are innocent. And in many instances, like with, especially with the cats that I work with and all of the shelter animals... I mean, they're, you you don't have people who are, you know, proactively trying to go out there and help these animals, and as a result, they're living very miserable lives. So to in any way diminish that as a, as something that you prioritize in your life, I just, I don't understand. I don't understand how, how that can make sense to do that. Let's go to Jerry in New Hampshire. Your turn to be heard here on our Pet Hour on WABC, Jerry. Oh, thank you. Hi, Nancy. Hi. Um, hi. Um, I just wanted you to know how much I appreciate your effort to save abandoned cats. That is not an easy thing to do. Um, I'm president of an organization that rescues purebreed dogs. We get them from shelters, pounds, dog officers, people who can no longer care for their pets. 
And our work can be stressful at times, but what you do um, is 10 times more difficult than what we do. And I just wanted to thank you from the bottom of my heart for all you do to save these these beautiful, beautiful kitties that would have absolutely no other life if it wasn't for you. And what is the name of uh, your organization? It's Well, we're called Cocker Spaniel Rescue of New England. Okay. Um, Okay. So we and cockers have been have been for a long time one of the most popular breeds of dogs. Therefore, they become homeless in greater numbers yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. than other dogs. But right now, because of COVID, things have been have been more quiet. But I did have a quick question. Um, we just had one of our sweet little rescue dogs diagnosed with something called sarcomatosis, and it's, it's evidently very rare. There's no real treatment. And I was listening to Curtis the other night tell about how you kept little Hope, the little kitty from the yeah. shelter who had cancer going for longer than was predicted. Yes. And I I just wondered what you did to to keep her going. You know, I, I don't even know if I can take all of the credit myself because I think the uh, situation that I'm in with having as many cats as I do, uh, they really lend support to each other as well. So I've noticed that, I mean, I used to joke around with Curtis how, uh, you know, Hope was like the the caretaker for all the little cats, but she really seemed to find joy in all of the cats coming over to her and wanting to be taken care of by her. So, I mean, I, I do have a lot of belief in the idea that the more positive you are in your spirit, the healthier that you stay. And in that sense, I think that she just had a great environment that she was living in where she was enjoying herself. So I think that probably had a lot to do with it. Oh, let me make mention we were talking about uh, pit bulls and how often they're misunderstood and that even those that have been raised to be fighting dogs can be rehabilitated. Uh, I've run across the uh, pit bull rescue group Hearts and Bones from time to time. And I just want to say, uh, Nancy, they do outstanding work because they've taken pit bulls that you would have thought there's no way they're going to act civilly. They'll rip your arm right out of your sockets. And then three months later, in giving them a TLC and retraining them, you look at that same dog and you say, I can't believe it. It's playing with kids. Uh, it's running around in the yard. It's like a totally different dog. Yeah, you're right. And, and to be um, having to do that uh, rehabilitation with pit bulls, I think I, I agree. It, there's a lot more difficulty in that. And, I mean, it, 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 it's very similar in a sense, just the, the sort of the way that animals, when they're brought to the shelter, they get misdiagnosed. Uh, you have to just understand any living creature when they're thrown into the shelter system, depending upon where they came from in the first place, you can't expect them to be a superstar on the first day. They're in a totally un, you know, unfamiliar environment and an environment that's really not conducive to them being there. So it takes them a while to decompress and a while to, to become trusting again. So you know, just to dismiss them on that first impression is unfortunately what happens in a lot of these shelters. And like uh, to your point, like working with uh, some of these animals that really face the most difficult uphill battles, that's, that's uh, laudable. Well, we uh, raise now our 16 uh, rescue cats uh, in a 328-square-foot studio apartment on the Upper West Side, which means there's one room and there's a bathroom. But I understand there's this new phenomenon taking place called cat rooms. Can you describe that? Oh, so, yeah, so the, the, the new trend, supposedly, for the 2022, which I, I think is fantastic, is the idea of cat rooms, which means that people are starting to uh, dedicate actual rooms in their house to their pets, uh, in particular cats, 
Um, so that I, I and so basically what you're doing is you're just creating a singular environment where it has all of the necessaries they need to have and then all of the uh, stimuli that they need to have to keep themselves active. Because, I mean, as you noticed, I mean, the cats have a lot of energy. And, you know, unlike dogs where you bring them outside, they're walking. I mean, they're contained inside all the time. And especially when you have a lot of different personalities, you know, someone wants to sleep, someone wants to play, someone wants to, you know, like they all have different needs. So having a single room dedicated. So absolutely, as soon as we get a place that has more than one room, that room's going to the cats. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it won't be. It won't be for me. It'll be for the cats, right? Of course, of course. The only privacy I get is in the bunkhouse, <laughs> the bathroom, sitting on the porcelain palace, and I'm surrounded by cats in there too. Yeah, they hide out in the shower. They do. <laughs> anyway, let's go to Matthew in Rochester. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Pet Hour here at WABC, Matt. Hi. <clears throat> How are you, Curtis? Uh, I've had better days, uh, but I'm going to give you oh, okay. some slack because it is the pet hour. <laughs> awesome. Okay. Uh, first of all, I have to say, Curtis, and to your, wonder- uh, your wonderful wife, Nancy, you guys are just amazing. I look up to you so much. You guys are just, uh, your work, everything you do is so great, and I really look up to you. Thank, Thank you. you. <laughs> okay. So I used to be in school in a place in upstate New York, uh, in Woodridge, and they, a while back, actually banned raising chickens uh, in, in the village <clears throat> over there. And I was wondering, like, first of all, what are your thoughts about, you know, like someone like me, you know, who's used to raising you know, raising chickens, uh, first of all, I believe it's it's a nice environment to have for the children and, you know, also for having eggs and laying eggs and, you know, having fresh eggs. And, um, <clears throat> pardon me, uh, how do you feel about that? Is that constitutional? Is that okay to just ban raising chickens? You know what? I, I grew up um, in Long Island, and I'm sure nearly not as, as rural as the area that you're describing, and we had chickens and roosters next to us, and they would uh, the neighbors would come over and actually give us uh, some of the eggs. And every morning I'd be you know awakened by the the roosters making the sounds and stuff. It's and that was yeah. in a you know a pretty you know a busy area. So I think if if any of these um, uh, like you know towns or hamlets or whatever like the designation is, if they start making uh, these types of changes in the law I'm, I'm i don't know if i would say it's not constitutional but i think it's definitely incumbent upon the people there to um really start to oppose it right away because unless there's an actual reason they're doing it that, that that's the thing like it, it seems to make no sense like if it's just on a whim they're making this decision well that that really seems like you're like you just said you're depriving people of something that is really part and parcel of you know, growing up in yeah, a rural I mean, environment. Yeah, totally. I mean, I spoke to, like, a local trustee here, and he's, you know, he agrees with me that, like, something's got to change. You can't stop people. That's, like, a basic, you know, I mean, that's, like, throughout the entire world, everyone has had their animals in their yard and their farm. You're able to just do these things. You can't. I mean, and that would now. be almost the same as telling people they can't have cats or dogs, because for what, for what reason can you tell people they can't uh, raise chickens? Like, I'm, I'm not sure what is, what is uh, the, the foot that they're sort of trying to stand on here, but it doesn't sound like it, it could just be personal preference of the individuals who are in that, in that um, decision-making body. And what I've found is, 
with a lot of the, the instances with animal issues, it really comes down to the more you make it difficult for them to, to do these things, the, the less likely they're going to stand by them because I don't really think they're that committed to the decision in the first place. They might have just made it and really didn't think about it. And the more you force the issue, that's kind of the only way it might change. Let's go to Andrew. Uh, your turn to be heard here on WABC, Andrew. It's the Lord's work, what you guys are doing, and I hate when people don't care for their animals. I remember when I was a kid, it was uh, growing up one block away from Newark, and the people right down the street were responsible probably for, like, the whole population of feral cats. I was riding my bike, and there was a garbage uh, grocery bag, and I was going to run over it with the bike. Then I saw a little kitten came out. And I rescued the kittens, and I kept them alive with milk and water and tuna fish and in a hollowed-out log in a little tiny wooded area, which now has a house. But but uh, I hate when people are irresponsible and don't get the pets neutered. And the veterans' hospital was right down the street, and they had those, like, little trailer things outside and the portable trailers, and there were cats living under there and you know it's probably from that same family that would now now andrew uh was that in east orange it was actually on the border the veterans hospital borders east orange south orange orange and newark yeah i've been there (laughs) before i I spoke to uh some of the patients there some of the veterans uh uh, unfortunately, you know, you had a program uh, out there at Rahway State Prison called Scared Straight. They would bring the kids out there. And I would ask uh, the directors at the uh, uh, Veterans uh, uh, veterans Hospital, uh, why don't they bring the kids over here to talk to the veterans? And he looked at me like uh, I was speaking a foreign language. It's sort of like it would have been so much better for those kids to talk to the veterans uh, housed in the uh, veterans hospital system than going into a prison where guys are cursing at them, telling them what they're going to do to them to try to scare them straight, Andrew. Yep, you have great wisdom. And uh, I just want to ask on that note, what you think when I watch the uh, program Pitbulls and Parolees, Pierogies, Parolees, I thought the ladies technique was incorrect when she was rescuing the dog she just puts the collar around it but i think you should give it water and food especially like if you give it if you slide it was under a vehicle the dog and in los angeles it doesn't rain like it does here a lot so it's probably dehydrated so if you put like a water bowl and you slid you should feed my i would do it different i would feed them to win their trust over. I wouldn't just approach it and try to put a collar, but what do you, what do you guys think? I'll hang up and listen to your... Well, well, I've actually been involved in rescues of pit bulls in Cleveland, West Cleveland. This is before I met you, many, many years before, and I first started the Guardian Angels in West Cleveland, Nancy. I was staying at the home of a father and mother and their four children, and they had a pit bull. And uh, I was watching TV. It was uh, NBC. It was in the wee hours of the morning, like 3 or 4. And uh, I'm trying to remember who the entertainer was. He was from uh, uh, the Ice Palace. He used to perform uh, at the Ice Palace in Totoa, uh, playing the uh, piano. Uh, it's one of Frank Morano's uh, best guests. I'll get that from him momentarily. And the pit bull was snoring. 
And the next thing you know, the pit bull had its jaws on my ankle. <laughs> it was having some oh, no. kind of a dream, and yeah. I didn't, like, not move for, like, two hours. Yeah. Oh, it was Uncle Floyd. Uncle Floyd at, like, 4 o'clock in the morning. And I'm watching Uncle Floyd do his variety show while the big pit is snoring and has its jaws locked on my ankle. Yeah, well, <laughs> I mean, I guess like to like to the caller's question, right? Um, I, I definitely think it's it's probably dependent upon how much time maybe some of these uh, rescue groups have, and maybe in this situation, you know, they're a little pressed for time because they're like in the show format. But you're right; it's it's a tough thing because when you realize the animals are already traumatized, um, to sort of double down with that additional like traumatizing of capturing them in a, a, an aggressive way. I mean, again, it, it's on a case-by-case basis. I mean, um, maybe it just has more to do with the show format. You know, they're not really taking the time that they could or should. Um, but, you know, obviously in situations where maybe the animal was going to escape, but it didn't sound like this was one of those. Um, but I've had those with cats. It's like sometimes you're trying to catch them and you have the the trap laid out and you've been trying to catch a cat just, I mean, for the longest time, and they keep escaping the trap. And, you know, it's tough sometimes when you just have that moment where you can maybe just grab the cat and, you know, just try to, you know, sort of uh, assist if possible, especially when they're smaller because they don't really know what they're doing. You know, they just had their defense mechanisms are up. So sometimes you just try to grab them because, you know, if you don't get them that one moment, uh, they could be lost forever and then, you know, they won't get any help. So, uh, yeah, it's like I said, definitely case by case basis, but it could just be more based on the the show having to you know produce so quickly. Well, if anybody wants to continue the conversation with my wife Nancy, the animal rights, animal welfare, cat rescuer, and maintainer of feral cat colonies, do so by going on the website guardianangels.org, guardianangels.org. You hit the tab, a guardian angel uh, uh, protection. Uh, uh, and uh, she is the director of that program, and she'll definitely get back to you. Uh, we will rejoin you, same time, same place, uh, Nancy, next Sunday before we turn it over to Frank Morano. Thank you. WABC. New York. Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. <laughs> mess he is Frank Morano host of the other side of midnight who uh, man you were getting a what's for on the weekend edition of the other side of midnight that I host I heard I listened uh, I, I lost brain cells listening to just about all 11 hours of uh, your overnight extravaganza by the way uh, a lot of it bashing uh, your performance <laughs> that's, that's right uh, and then I did a stellar recount of the history of our dean uh, of uh, newscasters here at WABC. Yes, Bob Brown. Bob Brown. I, I read his entire uh, resume and really felt that it was so uh, down low of you to splice his news report at the top of the hour and somehow indicate that he was promoting Frank Morano on the other side of midnight when, in fact, <laughs> he had said me, but you spliced it I, I Are you that insecure, I did no such Frank? thing. Are I am that, that insecure? insecure, but I did no such thing. And, and this love fest that you have with Sid 
Rosenberg in the morning. It's like, uh, you're great. No, no, you're better. No, no, I'm even better than you. It like it made me want to retch uh, the other day, uh, Friday morning when I came in uh, to speak with Sid. Uh, mm. Bernie uh, was away. And I said to myself, oh, my God, what is wrong with you guys? Are you that insecure, the both of you, that you have to constantly reinforce uh, the fact that you have low self-esteem? I, I think you know both of us well enough to know the answer to that question, Curtis. Now, Frank Morano, what do you have in store for us on the other side of midnight? Well, you know, the, uh, Sid Rosenberg, Curtis Lee with Frank Morano, I'd like to think that all three of those people are real radio professionals, people that really get the format of talk radio that understands why it works, what good radio is, and that it's not uh, all about agreeing with people or talking about wall-to-wall the same subject of for four or five hours. January so, 6th, January 6th, exactly. January 6th. <laughs> I'm going to be joined for the hour, in the one o'clock hour, by a gentleman who is a real radio uh, aficionado and a guy that understands the format of talk radio as well or better than anybody, Tom Likas, joining me live from California. Oh, yes, Tom Likas. Oh, he was big. Oh, big. Yeah. Absolutely. He's One of the done biggest. it all. He's done it all. Yes. Local, national, yes, internet, yeah. you name it. So we're going to talk with him. And then uh, in the two o'clock hour, a lot of people wondering how realistic these Nostradamus predictions for the year 2022 are. Mm. So I'm going to talk with an astrologer and a writer and a, an authority on Nostradamus. She's going to break down for us. Uh, Rita Weagle is her name. She's going to break down for us exactly what Nostradamus's predictions are and uh, what that means for people, if they should take them seriously. And, I, and a lot of other things. We've got commendations. I'll tell you about the latest entrant in the New York governor's race. We'll have the latest on that fire uh, up in the Bronx and uh, a few other surprises. And, and I will have a response to some of the idiotic things that you said over the weekend. Yeah, but think of it. Uh, your 4 a.m. hour, I've gotten people primed up to drink yes, gallons of Red Bull to stay awake because – they had just a, a little hors d'oeuvre of how easy it would be to win the $1,000 that you offer. It is quite easy. And again, it's not my $1,000. It's the stations. Yeah, but the, the money that I'm on the hook for is I took it. So Margot suggested that I should start offering lower prizes if people can get seven, eight, or nine questions right, which I think is good. So somebody got eight questions right. But I never really got permission from the station to start offering those prizes. Oh. So I think I am on the hook. For that guy's $250. But now, let me ask you this, Frank. Yes. Uh, I was listening the other morning. Uh, first question out of the box, what city is the Empire right. State Right, it was actually in? the second question. But, yeah, second the guy point. got it wrong. And then he cursed you out. That's true. You had F-bombs go And on. that guy is either the nephew or the cousin of Bernard Meltzer. You remember Bernard You're Meltzer? kidding. I am not kidding. With the sweater on yes. and the drool That's all right. over him. That's right. Giving financial advice at WOR, Women's Only Radio, only to go bankrupt himself. That's right. That's right. That's right. And uh, clearly, uh, it doesn't seem like his nephew is any better off. Bernie, Bernie, right. Bernie. Oh, my God, Frank. Those are the memories. Let me tell you. This is true. Frank, I don't know how old you are we had another person call up say why doesn't he just say his age but i gotta say that you are the uh, oldest young man that i have ever met you uh, at times remind me of an 85 year old yes well uh, you consider you. that a compliment I, I, you know i like uh, i do think that i have a 
a lot in common with our seasoned citizens, and a lot of our listeners happen yes, to be. Yes, they are. Fifty-five. Shall plus, we say? Uh, shall that, we say? Right. And lastly, flirting with eternity. How is uh, your lovely bride uh, Rachel doing? And your eighteen-pound baby Carmen? Uh, he's doing? still not eighteen pounds. I think he's probably about ten pounds at the moment. We have a doctor's appointment on Martin Luther King Jr. Day observed to get a proper weight. Uh, they're doing fine. Uh, Carmine doesn't like to be left alone. As soon as you put him down, he seems to start crying. Oh. You pick him up, he stops. Oh. You put him down, he starts crying. And yes, uh, Frank, I have completed what I think uh, is my weekend cycle here with ABC Stands for Always Broadcasting, mm-hmm. Curtis. I believe it was about 22 hours. I, I, it feels like 100. Why don't we just call weekends the Curtis Lewis Show? That sounds good to me. And by the way, uh, there was uh, one of these huckleberries, because like everybody here in the studios now, or the phone screeners or the engineers, uh, they're like in their 20s. Right. The other day, when I came in for Sid, this guy went through like 20 different talk show hosts <laughs> and hostesses <laughs> that. that he thought was good, including Dr. Gil Liederman, and never mentioned me. That was done on purpose. These 20-year-olds hate me. They loathe me. They despise me. But they love Frank Morano. Right. They adore you, Frank. They, they, in fact, they said, when are you getting off the air? Because we want to get more Morano. <laughs>